I've never bought a mic in my life. Oi! Have you been doing doing okay, Drew, since your sister committed suicide? Okay. Your pensies <laughs> wanna buy a mic? <laughs> Oi! Yeah. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. I was I like it when bands kinda like fight within the lyrics. <laughs> It's really fun. I got blisters on me. That's my favorite Beatles record when yeah. they're all just fighting each other, yeah, <laughs> like singing fun. over one another. Episode right. 29. Wow, can you believe it? Jeez Almost Louise. there. Our 20s are pretty much over at this point. Yeah. Our best days are behind us. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. Yeah, and I'm at Drew Deaton. Hello. Guys, I don't know if you heard about this, uh, this little teensy wincy little uh, toys company known as Toys R Us before mm. but um, if you haven't ever heard of them it's kind of too late because they're going out of business now now are you talking about Toys Backwards R Us yes oh okay. yeah I, I see how that can get confusing not Toys A-R-E Us because mm. that doesn't make sense I thought it was Toys O-U-R Us <laughs> Toys Our Us <laughs> but uh, yeah so, Toys uh, U R Us yeah uh, PS, PSA for uh, you listeners out there that Toys R Us is having some uh, gang-busting clearance sales right now. They're just trying to get everything the fuck out of there. So, um, out of the kindness of my heart, I actually, this isn't a bit. I have actual prize prizes right here, okay. toys for you. Okay. Um, Ernest, I know how worried you were about uh, the fate of Hawkeye in Infinity War. We've Renner, talked about it extensively. Renner himself. Yes. Um, so I, I found this little this little bad boy down there. What? Oh, my God. Is this an off-brand? Oh, wait, no. This is a <laughs> official Disney merchandise. Does it, it is. Does it look like Renner? It's, it's a... Uh- it's like an amiibo, but not quite an amiibo because it's to some game that nobody has. It's a playmation. <laughs> a playmation. This looks like uh, the blonde guy on Fortnite. <laughs> they made his jaw too strong. Jeremy Renner's whole thing is he looks kind of normal and ugly. You know. So so Hunter went to a physical store and yeah. bought us gifts. Yeah. And I'm holding not even my that. gift. I don't know where you had to go to go to a Toys R Us, but we were just talking about this the other night and I was I was like, yeah, the Toys R Us in Tallahassee was always in a bad part of town. But then I realized I, re- I thought that was a bad part of town because it had a Toys R Us. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. Uh, so do I take this out of the box and play with it or do I just keep it if on my If you don't, take it out of the box, dare. then don't I'm you, going to kill you. Don't you dare. No, I don't think that has like really any kind of value whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. There's about like a, a hundred of those just Hawkeyes just sitting really? there. Nobody, nobody wanted Hawkeye. <laughs> there was Hawkeye, and um, oh, let me look at the back of the box here and what this super adaptoid. Because who the fuck what? is that? <laughs> I want to before I get my gift, I would do want to wish a quick, uh, quick uh, rest in peace to Jeffrey Giraffe, who's been euthanized. Uh, oh. Since there's, oh, there's no. no longer a use for him. Give, oh, all right, hit me man. up. R.I.P. Well, thanks, man. I. I like it. I hope you. I yeah. hope you like it. I'm gonna put just, it on my shelf. I knew how worried you were about Renner, and I just want you to know that he'll be I'll, safe I'll next it, to I'll you. I'll take it with night. me to the premiere. Yes. Yeah, so oh my god. It'll be okay. It's gonna be a fucking <laughs> pussy. All right, Drew, are you ready? This one is. I'm. I'm really excited to give this one to you. Oh no. What are is you it? Ready? Is it a Kyle Mooney doll? Boom. It is for those of you at home. It is no! Star Wars Black Label, but it's everyone's favorite character, Constable Zuvio. Yeah. Yo, that actually, <laughs> that's a prize collection because, as everyone knows from the Force Awakens, that character did not make it into the final film. Oh man, yeah. So 
Constable Zuvio, who we all know and love, we all grew up playing with our Constable Zuvio action <laughs> figures, dressing up as Constable Zuvio, any chance that we got. Uh, finally. You and know? now you have the Black Label. Yeah. So what's the Black the, Series. So just wondering, but what's like the immediate real resale for this? <laughs> and do you have a receipt? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hunter. And <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can see you spent $4.90 on this. And, and I really that was, appreciate And that it. was before the clearance sale. <laughs> oh, that's not even what he spent. He was probably just like, hey, so, do you guys want this? And they were like, no, leave. Please just take it. Take it all. Please steal it. Yeah. We're begging you. Yeah. So well, um, thanks, he, man. So... I, those are just a couple of things, but uh, my favorite franchise that I love. <laughs> I yeah, know, I know you get. I know you love yeah. it so much. I'm a big Star Wars guy. I'm a big Constable Zuvio guy. Yeah, for those of you guys at home, if you want to get your hands on your own Constable Zuvio or Playmation Hawkeye, go to your local Toys R Us store. Yeah, I. Can we just get a gong here? Dong. That was really good. R.I.P. Toys R Us. I don't see the need to put in a sound effect there at all. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? We don't need to buy, like, get a sound effect thing. Like, we're good. Yeah, rest in peace, uh, Toys R Us. Yeah. I never really went to you because I didn't really, I wasn't allowed to have many toys what's, as a kid. What's funny is now that their shit is marked down to, like, 30% off, it's actually, like, normal pricing. Yeah. It, just, it took yeah. them going out of business for them to make their things, like, it's actually true. affordable. Toys R Us is kind of like Circuit City, where, like, I could see there being an internet theory that it's actually just all been a drug front you know for like <laughs> like all of these toys are made of kilos and we just don't even know it so ray Although, ray was telling me last night that he heard uh, i think he he read online that the the reason why they actually went out of business um and didn't even try to save the company because we heard earlier that they were struggling mm-hmm. right that they were shutting down stores and and struggling financially but the reason why it's like done is because the people who own toys r us they took out a loan to buy the company and then they just sold it off. Like they basically profited off of the demise of the company and Damn. walked away. Instead of like losing money, they just like profit. Classic. Off of that's it. some classic late stage capitalism shit. Yeah. And, uh, it's really a sign of how great we're doing in this country. <laughs> that the executive board would pocket all the money and fire a thousand employees. I you, that's the American dream, right there. Yeah. Am- Amazon's gonna take over. So yeah, you know, we'll all just be Amazon drones. That's what we all dream of. So we can hope for at least. Well, thanks, Hunter. Appreciate the the thoughts. Um. Yeah. Really. We'll. <laughs> We'll we'll remember if you guys, this moment. If you guys forever. want to return it the favor, go pick me up like a sweet minion plush or something from yeah. Toys R Us. Yeah. Oh, like, I yeah. I went to Universal last week. Everything was minions. It was and people wore their minion shit to Universal. It was oh. like it was like fat like thirty year old dads with like four kids. I would have came. And he would right have a shirt pants. that said like "Don't talk to me till I've had my coffee." <laughs> and there's just like no. a picture of a minion yeah. looking sassy. I've seen that. Shit. The minions aren't sassy. And they can't talk in the movies. <laughs> so what are what are we basing this thing off of? But you know who's sassy and can talk in the movie? Oh, that's good. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> there we go. He's known for being sassy. That's yeah. what we all call him. And so, that transition worked and we're moving on. So <laughs> we have news that Mr. Shia LaBeouf, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, yeah. Stevens, what was his, his first name? It wasn't Ren. That was the sister. It was Even. <laughs> Mr. Even, Even Stevens. Stevens. Even Stevens himself. He is uh, apparently he wrote a movie about his time yeah. during the Disney Channel days. Yeah, and so how it's... his dad was like an abusive alcoholic. Yeah, I'm excited about this. It's a biopic starring Shia LaBeouf playing 
his dad. Yeah. Yeah. His own dad. And Lucas Hedges as Shia LaBeouf. And and I did read an interesting theory about this. Shia LaBeouf method acts like really hard. He goes in. So going in as his dad, he might kill himself. Yeah. Like to be <laughs> he might just fucking off himself after this. Be like, I that was too intense for me. But as the camera is rolling. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> oh, this could be cool. I don't know. I'm I'm excited for this, nevertheless. Even if he lives, I'm excited for it. So there, there's. <laughs> so an, you're hoping for him to die? No, I'm just. This. I'm saying it wouldn't be the worst thing. I'm there's like. a there's an Esquire magazine, um, like cover story, um, kind of piece about him mm. and like interview, kind of like the Donald Glover thing. Yeah, I didn't finish reading it, but from what I read, he gets really personal about like his you know career of recent years and how he tried to be a movie star and he tried to be you know in indiana jones and transformers and basically everyone just starts shitting on him yeah. yeah and he had all these like crazy public episodes got arrested did weird art installations yeah. and now he just doesn't get work like, i mean people aren't going well to he's him. i mean i get not getting work after like getting arrested a bunch and like beating people up but like I, I am a constant defender of child stars because I just can't even... I have a lot of empathy for them because that is a life I couldn't imagine having. It sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Like peeking when you're a little kid and then just trying to get by, but you have this inflated vision of yourself. How could you not become a weird asshole if you're a child star? And, and nobody's real with you. Exactly. It's yeah. just... It's a living nightmare. to it, You're raised in this weird bubble that it's like... It's almost like a social experiment and it's just over and over... How many times do we have to be proven that it just creates like messed up kids? I know? mean, like I, I do kind of blame him a little bit for like the scripts that he chose to work on and stuff like that. But at the same time, like he did like sign up. I mean, he just found out like, oh, we want you to be in the new Indiana Jones movie. Like, of course, if he's trying to make it as a movie star, you're like, fuck yeah. yeah. Well, we're making was... a Transformer series. It's gonna make like a billion dollars. And like, he would sign off on well, that. And no one even didn't. Over again. No one even shot on him for that. I mean, that was peak Shia. First Transformers, Shia was on top of the world. He was actually the most interesting wrinkle about him is he would go on SNL. He went twice in two years for Indy and Transformers One. He was hilarious he, he was hosted a, yeah he hosted oh, he was a fucking showstopper it was some of the first episodes i ever saw and he was gen it wasn't like he was just like funny funny he was like an actually funny dude he seemed down to earth and then he just went off the rails mentally and that's and you know it's sad but like hey man let's let's I, check out this I, biopic i hope that this movie is sort of a bit of a, a a comeback for him and he's able like he's direct he's not directing but he's writing it mm. he wrote it um and you know putting himself in such a personal role playing his own father like that could be a chance for i don't know maybe some awards recognition or at least to get other maybe. parts is he writing I mean, this he needs to because he's got to be writing it right yeah 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 i feel like it might be bad just because it's like <laughs> I, I just know. don't really i don't know how stable of a human being shia is just <laughs> since we've seen his art stuff in the recent years yeah. like he had to have known how like memey he was being with like the just do it and like yeah the, i am i am sorry i mean the paper am, bag yeah. art thing like what he needs to do is genuinely pull like a classic grassroots indie uh comeback i don't think he needs to make his own movie because i don't i don't know maybe it'll be great but i don't trust his abilities he needs to sign on to some small director who has a lot of potential and do their movie they're willing to take a risk he's willing to take a risk they create something huge that's that's worked for a bunch of movie stars yeah. in the past that I, have fallen off I want this movie to be good, but I think the fact that he's playing his own father is going to be really strange to watch. Yeah. Like, some of the dialogue that's going to happen with, like, the father being abusive and shit, like, that's just not... I don't know how well that's going to play. I 
I, I believe in him as an actor and I think he's very talented, but I'm just pic- just picturing it in my mind, like Shia LaBeouf abusing the shit out of Lucas Hedges and like knowing that Lucas Hedges is supposed to be Shia LaBeouf. It's like, damn, dude, yeah, this is some exactly. dark shit. It's, yeah. it's some Heath Ledger's like, you know, pre-suicide yeah. shit. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we wish you the best, Shia. Yeah. Have have a go of it. And yeah. we're going to watch either way because I'm fascinated by this idea. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So, yeah, this is this is this next news is like a week or two old, but it's still it's good to hear. Uh, Amy Poehler, uh, likable human, is directing producing and starring in a netflix movie called wine country with a fucking loaded cast of like of like basically all the funniest women that there are did you see how they announced this project uh no oh she put that video up it was the weirdest kind of corniest thing but it was almost the perfect way to do it too yeah it was Uh, just literally a video of them not not in the movie but just like hanging out singing a song together yeah probably drunk on wine yeah and it pans to the whole cast which is packed it's got rachel dratch permanently underrated Anna Gasteyer who is in my opinion one of the five most underrated women working today in and acting and comedy in general she was on SNL in the early 2000s she did the sweaty balls thing <laughs> she's so fucking funny Paula Pell who wrote for SNL for like 20 years but never really acted that much uh, Maya Rudolph who everyone knows and Emily Spivey who I'm gonna pretend that I know but I don't um, <laughs> but yeah this this looks pretty cool um, Pooler hasn't uh, directed a feature film, but she—I do remember her getting a, a few directing credits on Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. So she's she's done her fair share. Yeah, should be um, good. I hope it's good. I honestly, my hope for Netflix original projects is quickly diminishing into just yeah. absolute garbage. Just, well, I mean, the only thing is that they're going to produce so much, like just such a vast quantity of stuff that maybe there'll just be a few diamonds in the rough with. Well, the all just this huge library. There has to be at least some good things to and come this, out of yeah, it. Yeah, and then they're talented, you know. Um, like, yeah. So I think this will be good. I'm a polar fan, and I'm a fan of this whole cast. Um, really quick, this is just a little related, but last night I put on uh, Game Over Man. Oh no! Oh, I heard it was horrible. It's the new movie by the Workaholics guys. It's got the same feel as the Workaholics guys. It's written by Anders Holm. And so there's no uh, writing staff that they can fall back on to give some decent jokes like Workaholics had. And I had to turn it off after like I was just planning on falling asleep to it and I had to turn it off. Wow. (laughs) It was that bad. It starts. It literally starts with them playing with like condoms full of jizz and then like uh, Anders smokes salvia on the job. And it's like, yep, that's how it is for us youths. They they know millennials. (laughs) It was just so the setup was so poorly done. I just, I just wanted to mention this because it was so... I've never put on something to go to sleep and had to turn it off. Well, this is what I'm talking about. Like, Workaholics is one of the better Comedy Central entries that I can think of. Like, they, yeah, it, it wasn't they're, bad. They're talented guys. And, you know, Netflix gives them all this money to put together this big movie, and it's fucking garbage. Well, so, like, a lot of it is it, the incentive to be good with a theater movie is... We're going to talk about this later, but one of us saw the movie Thoroughbreds. The rest of us were going to see it, but it got pulled because nobody if you, saw it. Because if you release a movie in theaters, they have the option to just pull it out of theaters. Yeah. They don't, Netflix doesn't just take shit off of Netflix after a week. They leave it on there even right. if it's shitty because people are going to watch it anyway. Yeah. So once the check is signed over to like Anders home and it's like, all right, write this movie. It doesn't have to be good. Like I'm not saying he didn't give his all. Maybe he's just not funny, but. I mean, like, I can't see a lot of effort going into this movie, you know? I mean, 
I feel like there are people out there who just eat this shit up and they just love it. They don't I care mean, that it's trash and they love seeing these guys be like, stupid. I, I'm telling you, there. I'm sure that you're right. There are people who will love it, but like this is like not even middle school funny. Like oh it was fucking Jesus. bad. That's um, rough. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. All right. We last need- last bit of uh, movie news here. I just want to give a, a quick casting shout out. Kumail is going to be in another big movie yeah. with uh, Mark Ruffalo. And this is a true story. Um, the tentative title is The True American. I think it's based on a book. It is. Um, uh, it's a movie that was there. Were, it was planned a few years ago. It kind of fell apart because Catherine Bigelow yeah, had to do some it, other it, shit. Uh, Tom Hardy was attached. Yeah, yeah. Big. It had a big cast and now it has a new big cast. It's about it's like post 9-11. It's like right after. 9/11. Yeah, right after 9-11. This really happened. There was. A guy who was going around Dallas killing who he thought were Muslims because it was, you know, that was the environment back then. Yeah. Um, and it's the story of Kumail and then uh, uh, like an Air Force vet who's white, I'm assuming. And they're, you know, working. They survive an attack and then they work to they're such good people that they work to make sure this guy doesn't get the death penalty. Um, so it's I mean, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying smells a little oscar for old Kumi. He might go for the coveted ooh, which is two Oscars. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> two Oscar noms. Yeah, two Oscar noms. It's the oon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. You know, ho- hopefully uh, they stay on this project and it doesn't get yeah, recast I mean, again. This cast is really I've, good. I love like, Mark I just... Ruffalo. I love Amy Adams. And I'm excited for Kumail to get bigger and bigger work. Mm-hmm. Um, R.I.P. Silicon Valley. I know it's it, it probably has they probably have one last season in them, um, but Kumail. Who knew that Kumail was going to be the one to like, break out? <sighs> yeah, you not know? Tom Middleditch. <laughs> Middle Middle or Ditch even T.J. Miller. Middleditch is doing indies, and T.J. Miller's just he's in Deadpool too. He's an asshole. Like I think he's <laughs> yeah. funny, but he's, he's a crazy person. He's too. yeah. He's kind of notoriously not great on set. He's late a lot and shit like that. So I think that I think that he genuinely could have been an A lister, and he's probably going to cap out at like a B or C lister. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I'm, I love Kumail. He's a good person on top of being actually funny, which yeah. is very rare. Um, and yeah, I'm happy and for him. Big he can Sick, do whatever he wants. Big Sick showed those dramatic chops. Yeah, so. that's the thing. He's not even an actor, but he can act. Now he's an actor. Yeah. Like, he was never an actor. Yeah. He's um, always been a comedian. I'm excited. All right. Before we get to what we've been watching, I just want to give a quick shout out to... We have a Twitter. We bought a mic at at, at, uh, at Twitter. At We Bought a Mic. Oh, it's Twitter. not called We Bought a Twitter? Yeah, you sound like an old person. <laughs> we, we it's bought a it's We Bought a Mic at <laughs> Twitter.com. <laughs> How do I how do I set this up? Yeah. How do I talk to my so, children? So like us and uh, <laughs> subscribe. Yeah. So go ahead and check us out. And uh, I sent in a little request for questions. Um, so and listen, the outpouring was so giant. <laughs> we're only going to get to one of them, but there were there were way more than that. So if you wanna if you wanna uh, ask us anything, just hit up our our Twitter at We Bought a Mic. Use the hashtag Ask Wabam. Yeah, and or got, well, unlike fucking Snyder, who didn't even use the hashtag. It's okay. He still it's, asked us. Yeah, we're gonna answer it, but um, use the hashtag. Snyder asked a question relating to a movie that we're gonna talk talk about later on. So I just wanted to give a, a quick little shout out and go ahead and check out our Twitter. You know. All it's, right. So what's game. what's the question? Uh, the question, which I mean, you, well, you okay. can get into it now, but. 
Do you, you want to get into no, it? No, 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 no. Let's we'll tease it. We'll tease it. Yeah, oh, listeners, shit. stick around. Stick yeah. around if you want to find out know. What, what that question is. <laughs> it's about a movie that we're yeah. going to talk about right now. Our, our millions show. of listeners are getting on Twitter. They're it's like, about, I have to know now. It's about a movie that came out this week that I'm going to uh, give you all the answer to. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's get to what we've been watching. Oh, actually, Hunter has something he's been playing. So, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, so this is a pop culture podcast. Games, they're pop culture. Um, well, fine, then. I'm going to talk about Fortnite. <laughs> you can't I stop fucking me. do it. I've never me. tried to stop you. All right, fine. Go ahead. Um, so, uh, this, uh, this past Friday, uh, Kirby Star Allies came out on the Switch. Um, are you guys big Kirby fans? Yeah, you could you could say so. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, so Kirby's always been like one of the more like family friendly kind of Nintendo games. Their games are never difficult or anything like that. They're usually like really just kind of sit down, relax, play it, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kirby Star Allies, I think, kind of fits in there. It's not a difficult game. Um, I've yeah, been I'd... trying to kind of take my time with it just because True. I know it's not going to be a very extensive game. But um, with games like this, I always love going for like 100% completion, going through. There's like, in this game, you go around and there's different puzzle pieces and stuff like that that you try and collect them all and What's all that kind of fun style? stuff. Um, it's just kind of uh, like standard like side scroller. But um, the way, what's different about this than other Kirby games is in this, you have an ability to not only suck up enemies and use their powers, but you can capture up to three enemies and then they fight for you on your team. Oh. Which, um, playing co-op with other people, it's really fun because you can capture a swords person or whatever you can be like just say for example i'm a fire guy and then you're a swords enemy coming in i throw a little heart at you and i capture you and then you can play as the second player as the swords person not only that um but you have ability to combine powers Mm -hmm. so like i can use my fire with your sword thing and then you have a flame sword (laughs) stuff like that (laughs) classic kirby classic kirby no but can you, um, can you swallow guy and keep him in your mouth yeah you can keep just him in your run mouth. around you can just run around you can't jump very high that, that's but, my uh, favorite thing to do in smash because i'm bad yeah. at it so i'll just be kirby and swallow people for like five seconds and <laughs> then let him go <laughs> yeah it's just the most annoying the thing. best thing to do in smash is just like when you have one life advantage you just swallow them up and then jump off a commit suicide <laughs> and win that's actually that's smart <laughs> that's that's the real i would do that it. with no life advantage i would just fucking <laughs> yeah. double You're like well we're yeah. both gonna die now fucking go, suicide. probably going to sudden death if anything um but uh yeah so anyways i i think this game is really fun um it's definitely works a little bit better as a co-op game, I would say, just because there are certain points since you do capture other enemies and they play on your side. Sometimes it's you with three other like uh, people who are or computers who are playing with you, and there are points where the computer kind of does everything for you. Mm-hmm. It makes it like almost a little bit too easy. Like there's still stuff that you have to like interact with and kind of like you have to do as a playable character but there are points like there could be just like not a major boss fight but just like a minor boss battle that i can just like kind of stand there in the corner and wait as my computers just kind of fuck it up for me <laughs> that's chill and yeah. then you go in and deal the final blow yeah it's i mean it's like one of those games it's very much just like an easy just kind of chill and play which um 
I, uh, you know, I was just kind of looking for a game like that that I could just kind of relax and mm-hmm. play. And I, I'd, I'd say it's good. Um, I don't know if it's quite worth the $60 price tag that it has right now. <laughs> Fuck you. Just because it's new. <laughs> Fuck that. It's a new game. What I know, do you expect but, from it? Yeah. I mean, Fortnite's free, dude. Let me tell you. Oh, my I'm gonna, God. I'm going to go in a little okay, bit. Okay, all right. Let me finish up my review okay, of uh, okay. Kirby Star right. Allies. Uh, I'd give 60. it, I think, if I was going to grade it out of 10, I'd probably give it like a... 7.5 or so that's still pretty good it's good it's a it's yeah. a fun game like um i've heard that the ending is like fucking wild and crazy i haven't gotten to the ending like i said i'm kind of trying to take my time with it but hmm. it's a it's a fun game okay cool 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 so um so for i the- like i like sometimes just to unwind and play a relaxing game unlike Fortnite. <laughs> Unlike the game of the proletariat, Fortnite. <laughs> this, is, this is the this is taking over it the is, world. Yeah, th- we're a pop culture podcast. We got to talk about it. Yeah, this this it's a sensation. This is probably the biggest video game since Modern Warfare Two in terms of online uh, phenomenon, where there are just millions of people playing at once. And I uh, completely understand why this game is deceptively complicated because it's it's simple enough that you can it has it's viral idea wise. Like I've watched people friends play league of legends friends who like i know i would like it if i played it but when you're watching it you do not understand what's happening unless you research it with fortnite it's simple enough that you get it but also getting good at it is hard it's the perfect balance you can play it and suck and still have fun and then if you want to get good you really got to put time in so i there are a few things that epic games this game company is doing perfectly right first of all they released the game for free which is like a huge fucking deal it makes it so it's the most viral thing in the world anyone can get it it's on every single platform they just released it on mobile which isn't as good but i'm playing it on the ps4 uh it has become a massive phenomenon every meme is about Fortnite now like everyone is talking about it uh in large part because of i I also wanted to talk about this uh, streamer. I didn't understand the concept of watching streamers until Twitch. until this game. I got on Twitch because everyone was talking about, like, hey, did you see this thing Ninja did, like, online? So I looked it up, and he is the number one Fortnite streamer. He was at the time. He has risen meteorically over the past few weeks, and I've just been watching because it's incredible to watch someone just become a millionaire overnight, basically. He was kind of like, he was doing all right as a professional, like, Halo Reach player, and he jumped on this game early. He has... He now he has more Twitch subscribers than anyone in the world by a by a long by shot. yeah by a long shot yeah. he has five million YouTube one million Twitter one million Instagram he is everywhere uh, and it's because like I understand streaming now it's like you're watching Michael Jordan play for like eight <laughs> hours a day and he's telling you what he's doing like it's like you get to sit down with Michael Jordan and he's like yeah here's why I'm doing yeah. this and like you get to know his personality and especially now like esports is becoming a thing like yeah, I mean it is, is like it is the future thing. because we're going to slowly realize oh actual sports if you play them for 20 years completely ruin your body and your life yeah. a lot of a lot of the time um not always but I com- I totally understand it it's a whole other level of watching sports I I don't really watch often, but I'll put I'll put on his stream if like it's nighttime and I just don't feel like like watching something because it just feels like I don't know. Sometimes it just feels like oh I have to like I have to. <laughs> this podcast the- is work, guys. <laughs> like this is this is a job. That's that how entitled we are. <laughs> Not really, but like I'll just put it on. It's like the same thing as sports. You put it on when you just want to kind of wind down and turn your brain off because you just go into analysis mode. You're not in like emotional mode. Right. right. It's the same thing, uh, and it is. It's just fucking wild. And he, he in large part, is why this game has become a phenomenon. He played the other night with Drake and Travis Scott, 
and Juju Smith-Schuster, who is yeah. a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They all played squads together, and it was just the most surreal thing. So, uh, how did that even happen? Was it just on Twitter? They, yeah, like- because he's become really popular, and like everyone's playing Fortnite. Like people, like rappers especially, the hip hop community is like super into Fortnite now. Oh for, yeah, for whatever reason. Not only that, like it seems like all the athletes are starting yeah. to play. Like it's everybody's because, playing Fortnite now. Yeah, it's really it's brought back something that Call of Duty used to have, which is like just casual couch gaming with your friends. You can just sit with your friends. You can do if you have two TVs and two consoles in the room, you can both play duos and like have this other level of teamwork where you're looking at each other's screens and stuff. And if you have one, you can just take turns. And that's also fun. Yeah. Um, so it's brought back this like classic like middle school feeling of like we're just gonna sit and play this game all night and so have a blast. So if there's if there's anyone out there who doesn't know what this is, it's basically a game where a hundred people dive into a map from the air, and yeah. it's a huge map, so you can really choose yeah. like where you want to go. Yeah, and you parachute in, and it's a battle royale game, which means. You can play with like a squad of three other people or one other person, but the last person or or team alive wins. It's that simple. It's a battle royale. Yeah, and you have and, one life. If you're dead, you know. Yeah, and there dead. are weapons that spawn randomly that you can find in materials. And yeah, you can build barriers see, and stairs. Yeah, a lot of people give this game shit. I've talked to multiple people who are like, "Isn't that just a ripoff of a uh, PUBG?" Because Player Unknown Battlegrounds came first, and it's another battle royale game where the map shrinks. But PUBG is a ripoff of H1Z1, which is the exact same thing. So it's a ripoff of a ripoff of a ripoff. So that doesn't really matter. The but the one of the big differences is the building in this game. It adds such a like creative aspect where like you get into these wild battles where like if you're good, you get in these battles yeah. where like you you once you're done with it you look back and you, you just in fighting this person you've built like the biggest building in the world and it's like what the fuck just happened uh well that's the biggest thing about the game is that if you actually want to become good at it you have to be good at building yeah you can't just shoot exactly you have you, to build yeah and it's, use it in it's not combat. just it's not just a shooting game where like if you see someone you kill them yeah like because that's kind of what call of duty was and it gets a little tiresome for that reason like it's just a matter of seeing them first in a yeah. lot of ways personally i'm not very good at this game i'm not either I, I'm i've tried it i yeah I'm, I'm pretty horrible at this game i i tried it I, and i just i just walk around the woods for a while and i don't see anyone and then someone finds me and kills me and that's it so drew you haven't actually ever played PUBG, have you no i've watched gameplay and it looks boring okay well eh, i kind of feel the same way but like i uh Gaia just recently bought an Xbox One, so um, I'm kind of curious to get PUBG to try playing that against it because really it kind of seems like there's like a feud coming out between kids who play Fortnite and people who play like PUBG, and I've never actually played PUBG to kind of weigh in on both sides of it. I mean, but PUBG, I mean, from everything I've heard, pretty much everybody at my work plays PUBG, and they're all like fucking obsessed with it. Yeah. Play it like and all they hate the time. On Fortnite. Yeah. Well, well I mean, some stupid. of them do. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid to hate on any game, really. But uh, I think it's it's especially dumb to be like, well, it's a ripoff. Well, everything's a ripoff of something I, else. Yeah, Have I you ever looked at? I don't art? care about that criticism. <laughs> all <laughs> art is theft. That's literally the a uh, phrase. Yeah. Um, but. I can see uh, PUBG being good. It's basically, like I said, it's like Fortnite, but there's no building and uh, less health, so you can die faster, mm-hmm. from what I from what I gather. Uh, and it's more realistic. Another thing about Fortnite is it's very cartoonish. It looks, oh, yes. it looks like a, 
uh, Team Fortress. Yeah, it looks like exactly like Team Fortress. So when you when you dive in, do you just always go for the city now? No, I go. I you know I switch it up. Depends on where you're come the angle you're coming in from. But yeah, this map is gigantic. Because I was talking to Grant last night, and he says that he's gotten like his his skill has like improved drastically because every time he just goes straight yeah. for the city. Yeah, it's Tilted Towers is the city you're talking about, and it's just it's become this place where there's a hundred people and probably forty drop into this one little yeah. place, and it's just so, so intense. Yeah, so it's so wild that if you make it out of there, then you got better probably. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, we don't have to talk that much more. But it's just a really fun game. I think it's getting a lot of hate in the Rick and Morty vein where the fan base is annoying because a lot of them are very young. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's an accessible game that's also well balanced. And I think that's really rare. And I enjoy it. I remember my, my first experience with it. I, I had to turn off the 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 chat of the other oh, people yeah. playing I, because it was just like children and they were like, saying things that just didn't even make sense they were that's, like yeah hashtag behind hashtag behind <laughs> my favorite that's my favorite thing is listening to these other people's lives oh happening because you always you, it's so you get people from all over the world i get a yeah. lot of british kids <laughs> and it's so fucking funny to piss them off like that's what it used to do when i was like 12 i was yeah, just, just piss people off. but like they because i don't like landing with my team so like they'll be dying and like grant's name is like nike yikes or something yeah, and, and this little british kid goes nike you have to help us <laughs> <laughs> and i just watched them die <laughs> it, uh, yeah i it's a fun game it's just brought back the feeling i used to get playing call of duty where it's like you're tapping into something that like so many people are enjoying yeah. that it feels like important kind of yeah all right cool so that's Fortnite. uh it's free i think it's yeah it's free. fucking free yeah. it's cool. free it's mobile's a lot worse uh but if you don't have a console yeah or a it's PC, very odd it. that they've released mobile versions of Fortnite and PUBG. i mean it's it's fun two. enough that it's... i still play it if i just if, like am taking a shit but yeah. <laughs> that's about it it's my shit game all right let's get to what we've been watching all right. Um, so, yeah, last night I watched episode one of a new documentary series that's been getting a lot of buzz on Netflix. It's called Wild Wild Country. Uh, this is a series. It's produced by the Duplass brothers, but kind of hands off. It's not made by them. They, you know, it's kind of like what they did with Tangerine, where they I'm pretty sure they funded it yeah. and they kind mm -hmm. of weighed in. But it is it's really, really good. I understand the buzz. It is the story that I'm shocked I didn't know already. This happens with a lot of like cult stories or mass murder stories where like they're not going to teach it in school, so yeah. you might just not learn about it, like Jonestown or something. Mm. This is like that. It's about this uh, this spiritual guru in India. He was very, very intelligent and like magnetic, and he gathered so many followers. He had books and stuff, and he started these communes in India. He started a giant commune where everyone, it was like basically communist and everyone just meditated, and it was, he had like this system of getting all your emotions out that was very, it was almost scientific, but it was also, it looks crazy. It's almost like Scientology where they're like, you're supposed to like, you know, you sit there, there's like silence and then you just like scream and like get all your emotions out and you're just like yelling and rolling around on the floor and then you cry and then you feel better basically. It's something <laughs> like that. But the thing is that works. It's called getting your emotions out. Like you're supposed to scientifically, you're supposed to have a good cry. So that is such a magnetic concept because in any society, you're not supposed to ever do that. Uh, and so his, his uh, philosophy and his just magnetism attracted all these people and it's thousands and thousands of people from all over the world. And then they eventually episode one just goes through his, you know, his beginnings in like the sixties, I think, mm. and gathering all these people in India through the seventies. And then 
they were forced to leave. And so it's it's leading up to them forming a giant commune in America. They come to America and I, I think it's the seventies or the very early eighties, and they come to this small town with so, a population of like forty people. So have you have you like actually like researched the story no. itself or anything? Or you're just going I no, I had not okay. heard of it and it shocks no, me because no, no, it's no, so no. I just I didn't know because uh the Duplosperos and stuff I saw on Twitter and stuff, they were just like everybody who doesn't know the story, don't look it up on Wikipedia. Just yeah. watch to see how this rabbit hole see, Yeah, because the way it unfolds is very smart. They do one of the smartest things I've ever seen uh with their opening credit sequence because like I said, episode one is just, it's almost backstory. It's fascinating, but it's leading up to apparently like big explosive shit happens in America. And this episode is just leading up to America. So to keep you hooked in the opening credits, it's one of the most like goosebump inducing credit sequences I've ever seen where it cuts between shots of this guru just smiling peacefully. And then like a bunch of people fucking like in its actual documentary footage and like a bunch of people just like beating each other up or like an explosion and shit. So it's like, it's the smartest way of like a little preview of what's going to happen that I've ever seen in a show. Jesus Christ. You're to assume that once they actually set up camp in America, it just turns into like a sex cult. They they talk, yeah, it becomes a, sex cult uh it's largely the woman there's a a woman who is kind of the sidekick of this this main guru and she kind of takes over in america and it apparently it becomes very dark and just there's so much documentary footage of all this stuff happening that i'm shocked there hasn't already been something made there's just so much footage i guess they were trying to keep it under wraps. yeah yeah that's true but there's a lot of video of like this happening in india and it looks like straight out of a movie it's like this commune and like there's so many plants and stuff it looks unreal it's surreal that's wild and they get they interview the interview subjects are incredible also they're so like you would think they're actors but they're just people it's they have two people who joined this what became a cult and they talk about it with this retrospective like i'm telling you like it was like the the best thing in the world um but there's sort of a removal and then they also get the i don't know her name off the top but it's the the indian woman who kind of ran the cult in america and she talks about it so openly and earnestly about like is it ma anand i think so but she sheila uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She she talks about well, like what happened, and, like just like so openly. But then she casually mentions, "I've been accused of hundreds of crimes, all all accused." Um, like she's just discussing this, like it's just like breakfast. But you're like, "What the fuck happened?" It the episode one does such a great job of building a sense of like something big is going to happen without actually telling you anything about what's going to happen. And wow. Um, and I, yeah, I can't recommend this enough. It's an, it's a full hour, even a little longer. Yeah, And it's, it's six episodes. Um, I I was, I was going to read more, but then based on what you said, Hunter, I'm not going to click around too much. I wanted to say something before we got too into it, just because I've heard that this is kind of a show that's best, it's it's kind of like how I viewed the keepers last year, where it was yeah. just one of those things just that's don't better look it up. to watch. Yeah, to not look it's, it up. Yeah, and just this go is, with the story. There are podcasts now that are banking off this premise that like we these things like storytelling. Well, these things like cults and murders are so endlessly fascinating, but we're kind of throughout American culture, we're not supposed to talk about yeah. it because we've been a very suppressed culture in the past. But if you really just like read about like Jonestown or like the other night I read for three hours about Ted Bundy just because I had never heard about it. And I was like, what the fuck? 
Like, there's so much information, and it's the craziest stories you've ever heard. And we're just now going to get all these series. I want to see a documentary series like this about Jonestown because yeah. that's one of the craziest yeah, things that's ever happened. It's like story. taking it's like taking a, a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. And just putting it and it looks on the screen, and it looks beautiful. It's very well done. Um, and there's not like in like the jinx there was andrew jarecki an actual guy who's like asking the questions there it's just doc it's just footage and interview clips that's it but the the interview clips are new they're not like yeah new interview dated. clips okay. and then like old footage and it right. is it's so fascinating awesome i I'm i gonna, really i've been out. meaning to get around yeah. to check you this should out because i've heard that i've heard just amazing things about yeah. it and i love documentary series it, so. it really seems like netflix is not stumbling with the nonfiction stuff oh yeah they're putting good money into this they're giving creators good access to to like very interesting stories well and it's, it's kind of the perfect home for a documentary yeah. because most do not get put into theaters right you know and if they do like they're just gonna sit there and no one's gonna watch exactly them. and like they're cable the you know the advent of cable proved that there's a big market for true crime nonfiction stuff with like the discovery id channel that's just entirely about like 48 hours shit like but it's kind of poorly produced because it's done for the masses this is like pristine yeah and I it's, mean, it's truly great. It's just kind of, it's kind of odd that Netflix, like, I wouldn't have expected this for their nonfiction documentary stuff to be, like, I mean, hell, Icarus just won an Oscar. Like, their nonfiction stuff is rising so much higher than what yeah. they're just, like, their well, original stories are I that mean, they're writing. It's it's a boon after Serial, the podcast, and then that spawned kind of... Uh, the Jinx. Yeah, the and Jinx. Making and, a murder. And then Making a Murder came out of the Jinx, and it's become this thing of, like, oh... Because it's an actual mystery, everyone will talk about it. Like yeah. every making a murderer was fucking huge for Netflix. Personally, it brought I, in a lot of revenue because it was cheap to make. I didn't get, I didn't get into making a murderer. Me neither. But, no, but I, I, I get the hype. I just, I tried watching it, and I was just like, you know, I don't really care. I think he did it, and you know, I if this is gonna <laughs> convince me that he didn't, like. I watched like the first 15 minutes and I was like, well, he killed his cat. He probably killed that <laughs> girl or whatever. I mean, I didn't see that either, but the the concept of a not just an like a one and done documentary, but a season long series that unfurls this long story and dives into all these is, subplots. It's so smart yeah. cuz all people, whether you want to admit it or not, are morbidly curious about death and murder and cults especially have always been yeah. so fascinating to me how the minds of thousands of people can just be hijacked and they're convinced to kill themselves like in the case of Jonestown. Yeah. They moved to South did, America and just off themselves cuz this guy ever, says to. Did you guys ever watch the the Scientology documentary on yeah. on uh, Going oh, Clear? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, on HBO. Yeah, that's, that's a from, really good documentary. Yeah. Um well, so that's Wild Wild Country on um, on Netflix, and I've been watching some stuff. I want to get through it kind of quick because I don't want to spend too much time on this. We have a lot of stuff to get through, so I'll just kind of run through it. I caught up on Love Season 2, finally. I didn't want to have another BoJack incident on my hands <laughs> where I start the new mm. season. And you're like, well, what? Yeah, yeah, without finishing the previous one. You fucking amateur. I never, so. I never saw season two of Love. How was it? I, Honestly, me neither. I really like it. It's really, it's just a great season show. Season one is good. Yeah. Um, I love once, Paul Rust, obviously. Once you get over Paul Rust, like, acting like he's this hot stud kind. Not, <laughs> not stud, but like, 
he just has this face that doesn't fit the character that he's mm-hmm. playing. What we're saying is that Paul Rust is fuck ugly. <laughs> yeah, he and is. he's also probably one of the funniest people on the planet. Yeah, and he's the creator of the show. Yeah. So I also was bothered, honest, if I'm being dead honest, because I know his actual personality. And it's so... Because he's a regular on a lot of podcasts, specifically Comedy Bang Bang. And he's the most magnetic fun loving fun guy so naturally and and so i kind of didn't like seeing him be this like awkward dude like it was like you're not even like that but with that said love is still a really good show yeah i Mm. i love it (laughs) Uh, it's a it's a great show can you explain that joke he just made i don't get it (laughs) i started i started season three and i'm i'm about four three or four episodes in it's the final season um but the 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 grab for me, the allure is the cast. Like mm. it's these these characters that are so kind of like relatable in very odd ways, and how the show explores relationships, adult relationships, in a really honest manner, but also kind of explores the individual little side uh, professional sort of lives of the two main characters. You have Paul Russ doing the whole movie thing because yeah. he teaches this child actress mm-hmm. and but he's trying to break into Hollywood so any chance he gets to like slip a little screenplay under the table mm-hmm. uh, even though he's just like the the teacher of one of the girls on this shit <laughs> so does that is that in season two where he gets to join the writer's room for a little bit or is that season one I I feel like that's one because yeah, I saw that season one. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So but one. that that kind of continues because he he gets story credit on that episode that he was in the writer's room for so it kind of it, it boosts up his confidence a little bit um and there's a, a short plot thread of him going to atlanta and uh, trying to like talk to the director of this movie that the girl um shot in atlanta uh, and trying to you know get his foot in there and all the the crazy shenanigans of him trying to balance his relationship with jillian um uh, gillian 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 Jacobs Gillian Jacobs mm-hmm. um yeah with um with her character and the the way the relationship is played is just so good because you know that these people like it's like the most incompatible shit ever mm-hmm. like they're just not supposed to be together but they keep trying and trying and like forcing it to the point that maybe now it's actually working mm-hmm. now in season three like you're thinking like huh maybe Maybe they can be together because for all of seasons one and two, you're just like, wow, these people just they should not be together. Yeah. This is the worst couple. That's what I got. They're just yeah. forcing it. Um, but it's great. And the the secondary players are great. You know, mm-hmm. you got a uh, uh, Claudia Doherty. Yeah. Claudia O'Doherty. O'Doherty. Who's an, yeah. Yeah, an Australian uh, improver and comedy actress who's very funny. Dude, she yeah. steals like every scene mm-hmm. she's in she's so good basically if you like pot like comedy bang bang the podcast you know half the people in the yeah. show mm-hmm. you might not even know it but like neil campbell shows up yeah. once or twice david spade was in there for a little bit yeah uh mike mitchell from doughboys the yeah. podcast who's very funny in his yeah. own right there's a there's there's just so many good jokes in here like mm-hmm. just little things that they choose to throw in like there, there's this one little bit um when they they have this um sequence of the two main characters like driving to meet each other and they cut back and forth and uh uh Jillian is listening to like some crazy like punk shit and they cut back to Paul Rust and he's just listening to a podcast <laughs> <laughs> so just 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 little details like that that yeah. other people like wouldn't really think to put in a show he like is, this yeah i god dude i love Paul Rust so like 
we gotta i want to plug get on youtube and just look up paul rust new no-nos oh yeah from comedy bang bang it's a segment he does on comedy bang bang it's making fun of bill maher's new rules which is a shitty segment that bill maher does where he's like hey new rule if your baby's crying on a plane i get to cry to your baby and it's like shut the fuck (laughs) so so paul will just be like new no no if you're on your phone during a movie i'm gonna draw a picture of you (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's love on netflix it's great 30 minute eps around 30 minute eps pretty easy to watch uh it's the final third and final season so cool cool show easy to watch uh so next i've been watching crashing another yeah another judd apatow comedy that is based in the world of comedy so we've been we've been talking about this show a little bit did Um, you finish this yeah me too i finished it i loved the ending so so much so we never talked about naka either so yeah naka so it's the the, it's the penultimate episode of the season and we kind of discussed it naka is an association that Almost every comedian ever has taken part in, and yet yeah. no one actually knows about it. It's this thing where up-and-coming comedians will go and perform in front of a group of college kids that's been like kind of handpicked, and then people like you know executive boards of colleges will also be there, and they'll decide based on your performance if you can perform at their college. And this is how like half of all comedians blow up. Basically, they yeah. they book like fifty colleges from a really good NACA show, and then they go play them. And now college kids know their name. This is this is exactly how Dane Cook got so popular. If anyone's wondering, like it's through NACA. It's a huge deal for so many comedians. And these last two episodes are exactly what I want out of this show. They're perfect for what this show yeah, is. Yeah. So my my favorite part about um, the little arc that happens here is that you have Pete like really finding somewhere where his comedy works yes because he's been just grinding in new york and not really like moving anywhere with any progress in his career and he finds this niche where like he sort of finds his thing you know he he's able to to shit on on himself in his sort of like weird kind of normie sort of side yeah but then it also it gets into this really cool discussion that I wanted out of the show, out of of comedy philosophy and what and art philosophy yeah. really. There's this because, really great scene that yeah, because his girlfriend, uh, played by Jamie Lee, his real ex girlfriend, is very like she doesn't want to compromise her material for fuck a bunch of fucking college kids because you have to be clean at NACA or else they won't book you, and she refuses to. She talks about like date rape and shit yeah. immediately, and they have this argument where Pete. They both make good points. She's like, I'm not going to compromise my art just to get popular. And he's like, well, I'm just trying to pay my bills because Pete writes a couple shitty jokes that he knows kids are like, like pop culture references or whatever. There's a bit where he goes to a gas station and buys a bunch of like generic shirts that just say gas it up. And then he's yeah, because everyone else has merch. So he writes a joke where the punchline is gas it up. Yeah. So he can sell sell these shirts. (laughs) And it's really that's a smart little bit. And it illustrates this greater point of like if you're trying to grind you don't really have the money to like have artistic integrity right he's trying to put food on his table he lives in a shitty he's crashing on couches and he works at cold stone so he's like why should i just like joke about date rape and shit why not like try to make it and then be an artist and it's just that's exactly what i wanted from this show so far it has been too much navel gazing with pete being like well what even am i yeah now we're getting into the nuts and bolts which is exactly what this show kind of promised yeah and in i the think first place. i think the jamie lee subplot really added to it because it's awesome you bring this girl in who is constantly like introducing this um uh theme into the show of two comics 
having to balance the professional side of comedy with also just being funny people hanging out together. Yeah. You know, aside from them being a couple, they're always like spending time together and cracking jokes Mm -hmm. and trying to find that balance of like, you know, when someone says something funny, like who gets to use that on stage? That's another thing that happens all the time in this show. And it's so, so accurate. Like if you ever hear comedians talk, like it's like, Hey, can I use that? Yeah. It's that, that happens because jokes come out of conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is what I wanted from this show. You get that conversation. I honestly think that their relationship, I don't know. I'm not familiar too much with Jamie Lee's comedy, but I think that this may have actually happened between them um, because she, honestly didn't ever really break through and pete did because he played the game yeah exactly (laughs) he he worked the grind and and that's what you you get to episode the last episode which is the roast battle uh it's a great episode where it's like this little tournament of them just roasting each other and the the judges are already uh jeff ross jeff ross yeah the roast master general and these are there's now there's a Comedy Central show called Jeff Ross's Roast Battle, but this is just before it was a show. It was a thing that would happen in L.A. New York as you would just gather comedians together and do like a tournament style roasting. And it's I love roasts. A lot of people don't because it's obviously very mean spirited, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it was very, very fun to watch. And then it was fun to watch because this is the kind of navel gazing I want. This this isn't just Pete being like, am I an atheist? It's Pete being like. I have to be mean to these people and it's my least favorite thing in the world, mm-hmm. but I want to be a comedian so and, badly. And the way it's played uh, towards the, the climax of the episode is great because Brilliant. Pete has been struggling with like, he doesn't know what to write. Like he wants to be writing all these jokes because that's what everyone else is doing. They have this prepared material. Yeah. And he's also really good at roast jokes. Yeah. He and finds. it gets to the point where he just feels this rage on stage and he doesn't even go off the jokes. He just starts saying mean shit. Yeah. And he's put in this position where he just has to dig deep down into himself and literally just be fucking mean on stage to get laughs. Yeah. And, and it's, be the person that he just, doesn't want to be. It is brutal. It's Pete just because the la- the very previous episode was about compromising artistic integrity and then the finale he has to do it. Yeah. But it's for his career again. Yeah, and he he ends up he ends up winning. <laughs> yeah, it's it, this is about how you gotta you gotta. Oh wait, sacrifice. no, no, he he wins the round, but he doesn't. But win he, yeah, the he overall. loses overall to Mike yeah. Lawrence, who actually won season one of Comedy Central's Rose yeah. Battle. If you don't know, and uh, the the narrative device of pitting him against his girlfriend in a rose battle was brilliant because in the yeah. episode before there was a lot of building tension of like, they're not going to make it. Yeah. And this episode was perfectly brought to a head where they have the roast and she like, she's into it and she's like, that was fun. And he's like, I can't be with you after saying that to you. (laughs) Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I can't just like go and have a fun dinner thinking about the things that we said to each other on stage. Their, their scene was, you know, the, the big climactic scene was, very well written and very well acted. The episode yeah. was written by Judd and Pete together. And and you forget that they had a real thing. They, they're so into the performance. They're so into the moment of the scene that you don't you're it's not ruined by the fact that these people actually had a real breakup. You're just seeing the characters. That's you're still so wild to me that that they both agreed that yeah. they wanted to just show their relationship well, unfurling. They, they obviously stayed on good terms because back when he had his talk show, she was a writer on it, oh, Jamie okay. Lee. And she, there were a couple times he would do these bits where his writers would come out and talk shit about him. And it was really funny. And she came out and she talked to like, shit about his personal life yeah yeah and it was really funny also so they're, a, they're fun, cool. a fun part of this episode was just seeing people shit on pete 
yeah like just roast the shit out of him. there was that's, some that's always there fun. were some good roast jokes in there yeah um and it was th- these last two episodes were probably the best two of the entire show i would say i mean this season had some real standout ones yeah it was overall a a considerable yeah. step up from season one yeah and i'm still gonna say this show isn't for everyone and you do have to be a little patient with it because after season one i was kind of like i'm worried about this mm-hmm. uh if the, if they can continue the trend that they're going in i think this show can become special yeah. is the, this is this a show that you could just hop in in season two I Do mean, you, does you'll it depend have a, on you well, season d- one? You're going to have a few questions. Yeah. Like, you're going to be like, well, who's that? But it's not like very plot heavy where you're like, well, what it's the only, fuck is going on? It's only eight half hour episodes. So it's yeah. not a horrible uh, amount of time to devote to it. It's just um, you can jump in. But I would say you do benefit a lot from season from seeing the first season mm. um, because of the whole Artie Lang subplot like there's a lot of stuff of of Artie's character that gets brought on from that first season that makes you care more about his relationship with Pete um if you just jump into season two there's some real like heavy hitting Artie moments that wouldn't land as well if you don't watch season one but um but yeah these last two episodes like if you really don't want to put any time into it just watch the last two um because the NACA episode is fascinating just to I've always wondered what NACA looks like like I've just I've always had this vision in my head and so they did a very what I'm left to assume is realistic interpretation also the dude that plays the manager Mm. who is that I don't know very funny (laughs) oh I want to give a quick shout out to Dan Klein I don't know if you noticed but because they 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 uh all these comedians were pandering they were trying to illustrate that so they brought up Dan Klein who is this comedian who is not even really a comedian, but if you look up on YouTube, Dan Klein, this is comedy. He has an hour long special of fake stand up where it's like bad stand up. It's like making fun of stand up, but it's <laughs> so good parody that half the people in the comments think it's real. Oh, and they're like, this is no. the worst. But I don't, it, like, it's not for everyone, but I could watch that all day. It's just him being like, yeah, this is my impression of people. And then he just like walks around. Like, it's, <laughs> it's the most broad. <laughs> It's like playing with comedy in that way of like it's zooming oh out and God. being like, what are we really doing? Here? Yeah, like it's it's crazy. So they bring him on for a little bit to be a bad comedian where yeah. he's like, hey, did you guys chew bubble tape? I know I chew bubble tape. It's like in a big old tape. He's like, yeah, you ever chew normal gum? It's like in an envelope. It's like, what is this? The post office? <laughs> it's so uh, I love that guy. So uh, this is Crashing's renewed for season three. So we're expecting season three next year. Hopefully I don't. I don't think it'll get delayed or anything. So I'm hoping that they they dig even deeper into Pete's character. I'm hoping they dig deeper into the themes of religion and just the whole exploration of like comedy as this really tragic story. Exactly. See, (laughs) this is the difference. This is exactly the same with Pete's podcast. It's best when he's not just talking about himself. It's best when he is in the conversation because he's a great talker, but when they're him and the other person are building something greater, just like these plot lines, the episode where him and the dude just walk around and talk around the city, it's fine, but it's not what I want out of the show. I want larger things happening and existential crisis happening. Yeah. All right. Crashing HBO. We recommend it. Great show. Yeah. Uh, another thing on HBO that I got to check out is this documentary, quick 90 minute watch. It's David Bowie, the last five years. Um, I, for some reason, I expected this to be better than it was. It's still good. I've like, heard of pretty mixed things about it, yeah. to be honest. I know, like, on Roger Ebert or something, I got, like, a one and a half out of hmm. four. I wouldn't, wow. I wouldn't say it's like, that bad. Yeah, it was It was kind of well, Roger perplexing dead, to me. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, but whoever writes... Yeah, sorry, Roper, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, Siskel. <laughs> D- 
dead Ebert is is jealous of dead Bowie. <laughs> yeah, they got, like, where's got my better, documentary? He got a better setup. <laughs> well, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why I expected this to be better. I, I think it's just because Bowie is this legendary figure. Yeah. I maybe uh, assumed it would be a legendary well yeah that's documentary. why that's exactly why it should be better um, because he was great so it should be great yeah exactly so the the story of the documentary is really just the story of uh bowie putting out his final two albums mm. which are the next day and black star and then this small small broadway show that he did called lazarus mm. uh it's like a musical that employs a lot of his music and it stars michael c hall as um a very bowie-esque character um, so the, the, the documentary is very simple. It's just covering, you know, the making of these two final albums and this uh, play. And that's that's pretty much the, the gist of it. It doesn't really dive too much into uh, Bowie's backstory, his philosophy. Mm-hmm. Any, it doesn't really do any of like the deep dive into his the, the meaty uh, career of Bowie. Um, I guess that would just be a different documentary that probably mm-hmm. exists somewhere out there. Um, so this is just about like the end of his life. And I really enjoyed, um, the look at the people around him cause they, they don't get an interview with him cause it was done after his death. Mm. And I enjoyed the, the moments with the people, um, that knew him and what it was like for them to be near him as he was developing these final projects. Because the next day is about, Bowie looking back as at his entire musical career and like making a commentary on it and trying to make an album that sort of subverts everyone's expectations as to what a 21st century Bowie album should mm-hmm. be. Um, and then with Black Star, it's just an album about him dying. It's an album about him knowing that he's going to pass and sort of reflecting on death itself Mm. uh i love black star i think black star is an incredible album so that part of the documentary i thought was really really great and it was still cool to see some of the work that he put into the the musical because yeah that's interesting i didn't know about this uh musical lazarus you, you could see that he was fighting he wasn't just like oh well i guess i'm gonna die so i'll just put something out he was like really trying to stay alive and and trying to do all of this stuff to invigorate him more and make him fight the cancer more. I think cocaine? that's <laughs> Are we talking about cocaine? That's why he he took on these projects. I think that's why he wanted to do the musical and I think he had more ideas for more things. Um I think Black Star again is amazing and, and it's incredible yeah. that that he gave us that, but it's not like he was like ready to die mm-hmm. essentially i think what what i got from the documentary was that he really was trying to stay alive however he could artistically emotionally spiritually mm-hmm. I, I'm, I definitely want to check this out because like you said like i think black star is one of i think it's arguably the best rock album of the 21st century like yeah, it's it's up there it's really an album unlike anything else as far as like the ultimate swan song so reflective so existential yeah. like, and the instrumentally really, too yeah you're listening to it it sounds like you're listening to an album written by somebody who has already passed yeah. away and, and it like, honestly what's it, incredible it about honestly it. reminds me a good a great deal of Nick Cave's album he put out right after his son Ooh, died. Yeah. yeah, it has that similar like I'm ready to fucking die. Yeah, like, but like that album is a little bit more of like in a pure depressive state mm. where I feel like Black Star. I mean, there are like it is 
sad, but it's also very like bittersweet, and, and it and kind a of, little hopeful too. It's hopeful, and there's there's a sense of acceptance. By the end of uh, the last track on the album, I can't give everything away. Like you just kind of have this sense of like hope and like yeah. acceptance that he's he's kind of knows that this is his end and he's ready to move on. He's not sad about death. He just accepts it as a reality and is grateful for the life that he lived. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, Bowie, the last five years, it's not the greatest documentary I've, I've ever seen. Yeah. But if you, if you're not really the biggest Bowie fan, it's a good little watch to kind of get a sense of who the man uh, was, you know, aside mm-hmm. from all of the, mascara and hair yeah and all clothes. the space oddity yeah. like older 80s because in 80s in the in the later years of his life in the last five years he was just a dude he was just a guy he was just a guy that mm. was dying and wanted to make music for the end of his life for the last couple of years so i recommend it it's not it's don't expect a crazy crazy transcendental documentary but i recommend it um Next, before we uh, take a break, I just want to talk a little bit about this movie called Thoroughbreds. Yeah, so we were going to have this as our feature review this week. Like, we don't have one this week because Thoroughbreds got pulled from all the theaters. Yeah, it was only out for two weeks. It came out March 9th, yeah. and I saw it this past Thursday, and or Wednesday, because the next day, Thursday, it was gone from all yeah. Orlando screens. Yeah, I came back in town. Uh, I was out of town for a few days this past week, and then I came back in town Friday, tried to catch a showing. It was already gone. Yeah, it was just fucking gone. This is what I was talking about with Game Over, man. Like, this is why you, you gotta make a fucking good movie, because even if it's good, it might get fucking yanked. Yeah, it's really sad, because this is a, a, an original script, original you know first time filmmaker mm-hmm. Corey finley i think is his name it, it did it did reasonably well at sundance also not this past sundance the sundance before so this movie premiered sundance 2017 yeah along with like the big sick yeah yeah and so it's finally made its way to theaters and nobody man. saw it yeah it made a couple mil but it was in so many theaters that that is not seen as a game can can i see can i say one of the reasons why i think it didn't make much money the name because the name is horrible it's it's a horse it sounds like a horse movie it's yes a terrible I, name it's happened multiple so, times where I'm typing out something about like, oh, we should try and go see Thoroughbreds. And I have to keep like, th- thorough, thoroughbred. is it one word? It's like I keep like wondering how to even yeah. spell it all out. Not good for casual moviegoers. Let me let me tell you guys. <laughs> this is a horse movie. <laughs> <laughs> the first the very first shot of this movie is Olivia Cook staring dead in the eyes at a horse. No lie. I'm not kidding. This is. I mean, I figured that there had to be. But it's not not a horse movie, though. Is it? Well, I don't want to spoil it. Um, But (laughs) a horse is a very key part of the story of this movie. And then the final kind of scene montage, whatever. Olivia Cook has this monologue that explains the title of the movie, and it kind of explains this metaphor as to like why, like who is who is the thoroughbreds. Who are the thoroughbreds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie, um, it's not a great movie, but I do admire how weird it is, uh, how kind of out there and strange it is. Hmm. It's very original. Uh, the basic premise is Olivia Cook is this girl who is like pretty much a sociopath. Like she is very self-aware of her lack of empathy and feelings. Mm-hmm. And she, something... Uh, happened um and she kind of like 
broke away from the world and society and now she's coming back and she has to be tutored to catch up um and anya taylor joy is the tutor this girl who knew they knew each other as children and now that they're teenagers young adults um you know probably seniors in high school they come together because their parents um kind of put them together so that anya taylor joy can tutor olivia cook so the movie it's broken up into four chapters and the entire first chapter is these girls kind of like restarting their friendship after years apart and figuring out how much they changed now that they're grown up so olivia cook is a sociopath who keeps saying that she can't feel anything and then anya taylor joy is this quiet sort of very prim proper rich girl um, the whole movie sort of mainly takes place in this mansion where Anya Taylor-Joy lives with her uh, stepfather and mother. Mm. Uh, and slowly throughout the course of the film, you start to get a sense of this stepfather being kind of emotionally abusive. Um, and as the trailers point out, this movie is being compared to Heathers and other sort of weird, mm. violent uh, teen movies because they devise a plot to kill this said stepfather. Um, but the plot takes some other twists and turns. At some point there, Anton Yelchin is introduced in his final performance. Oh, yeah. It was very bittersweet seeing him. Mm. He, I actually had a great time watching him on screen. He's very good in this movie. Uh, Olivia Cook is the MVP, though. Her performance is amazing. Really puts you... Uh, the the audience in this place of she's a good actress of mm -hmm. just lack of empathy and she's feeling. in uh, me and Earl right yeah yeah, yeah she is the dying girl and yeah. she's in the upcoming Ready Player One as well hey, holy um so the the biggest knock I give this movie because I walked out of the movie and I was like that was that was a solid movie like you know good score good cinematography good acting solid directing um pretty you know cool story but after talking about it with uh, with Lee and sort of thinking about it, I do got to give it a big knock because the movie puts you in the place of this Olivia Cook character of her just being this no feelings sociopath sort of person, and that's sort of the reaction you have to the movie hmm. to the story. You're it, the movie does such a good job of kind of numbing you and putting you in this place of like no empathy, no feelings, that you really don't feel anything about what's happening. Mm. And there's some crazy stuff that happens and you just like almost don't even care because of how it's executed. So do you think it was like it would have worked better from like a director's perspective to focus more through like the eyes of the Anya Taylor-Joy character? Yeah, possibly because that's how the movie is originally sort of kind of set up you are in her home. You are around her life more. Um, you're, you know, you're you're going after her stepdad. So it would make sense. But there's this key sort of development that happens that you start to learn that this girl, first of all, she, she's being seduced by this crazy person into also becoming a crazy person, being coerced into committing murder essentially. Mm -hmm. And second, she is kind of like a spoiled brat. And, you know, there's this exchange with the stepfather where you kind of side with him because you don't, you don't get the sense that he's really this evil guy. Yeah. He's just like sick of her shit because she's just a spoiled brat who lives in a mansion and has, you know, 
unlimited amounts of money at her disposal essentially mm-hmm. um so you don't you don't get the sense that she is like righteously going out to kill this guy because he's such a bad yeah. guy it's just she's just being like convinced by this crazy girl who comes in and convinces her to kill this guy so mm. the, the those are like the two main criticism i, I gotta give the film um but I do still recommend it if you're prepared for this off-kilter, very odd movie. I, it's not for everyone. Okay. It's not a movie that I would recommend. I mean, obviously. And, and if yeah. you can <laughs> even find it now. Yeah. yeah. I was interested to see it because I, I'm a big fan of Olivia Cook, big fan of Anya Taylor-Joy after seeing uh, her work in The Viva Itch. And Split. Split. Like, she was the, absolutely the the MVP of Split, um, a movie which I didn't really care for all that much, but I thought that she was fantastic in it. And I mean, I always love seeing Anton Yelchin and it it's just, so, it's so, so sad, sad yeah. with He's him no just being gone. Was. But I mean, if you just any, for those of you just look up Anton Yelchin's career and just go back and watch some of the stuff that he's done, namely like his work in green room. Like yeah. he is really a fantastic actor. Yeah. Yeah. Rip. Um, you know who didn't think that is his Jeep Car- uh, Cherokee. <laughs> oh, oh boy. I need a break after that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, so, you're your hack. And I fucking ran him over. So overall thoroughbreds, you know, I'd probably give it like, a six point five to a seven, maybe right. like okay. a like a good bad, seven. But like a, yeah, it's like a solid, um, just a solid movie. It has a, a lot of good, you know, dark comedy moments. Uh, but again, it does put you in that very stoic, emotionless is place. This, um, who uh, what was the name of the director? For Corey, this film? I think his name is Corey Finley. It's his first film. First okay. film. I think he was a playwright, and he wanted to do this as a play. So it does have like this very theatrical mm-hmm. um, uh, vibe to it, but. The, I got the sense that it wasn't theatrical in the moments where it should have been. Mm-hmm. It, it does have these moments of theatricality that don't really uh, re- uh, show up in these more like dramatic moments that you'd actually True. expect to give you that emotional uh, punch. You know, there's these two big moments that if you if you watch the film, maybe you'll you'll pick up on that. The, there are these big turning points for the character of Lily, for Anya Taylor Joy's character, um, that aren't execute it with the the drama and theatricality that you that you want in a movie about mm-hmm. killing your fucking stepdad All right. um and yeah ultimately the story of a spoiled brat and uh good performances good cinematography um weird score that's a lot of like whiplash whiplash yeah, yeah. That's it's just weird it's weird all right so is it mailbag time or is it mailbag time uh, uh, it's break time. Then it's it's time. break time, and and we'll get to the mailbag at, at, at the other. Yeah, uh, just gotta wait through the other side uh, of the break. This, so, um, yeah, this if you um song and if, break. If you if you find fucking um thoroughbred somewhere, good luck, and we'll be right back. Thoughts. Looking down on my 
my soul now. Tell me I'm in control now. Tell me I can live long and I can live wrong and I can live right and I can sing song and I can unite with you that I love and you that I like. Look at my life and tell me I fight. It's that final destination. It's that monster information. It's that monster inspiration. It's that crack the installation. It's that quantum jumping that fist pumping that bomb detonation. Please don't bomb my nation. It bomb me floor waiting. I got my control when I'm here. You gon' hate me when I'm gone. Ain't no blood pumping, no fear. I got hope inside of my bones. It's that life beyond your own life. This ain't this goes for mankind. This that out of body experience. No coincidence. All right, yeah, this I'm just gonna do like some quick housekeeping. I don't I don't know if I'm gonna tweet these, but if I am, everyone that's listening gets a free little preview on some some really prime stuff. Oh, sick. This is Foam Corner. Rest in peace, Harris Whittles. Uh, this isn't even a joke. This is just a premise, but like something. <laughs> Something about how all Southerners call their grandma some weird ass name, like like Gamgaw or like Grandma Graham or whatever. You ever notice that? <laughs> That's just an idea. It's not. Mima Eula. Yeah, I have that in my family. Um. Yeah. See, exactly. You're Southern. Okay. So how about how about this? Uh, butternut squash is a really smart name because it preempts what the food actually is with two better foods that it's not <laughs> butter and nuts. That's that's not bad. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I like this one. Uh, it's a classic pl- uh, prank to release two two pigs in your high school, but then you write the numbers a million and one and a million and two on it. That way, everyone thinks there's a million other pigs in the high school. <laughs> How's that one? <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> you got more? Yeah. Here's another. <laughs> Just, this is just another premise, but like something about how fucking lame it is when a family all wears matching T-shirts on like a vacation, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, on like yeah. a cruise. It's like, oh, fuck you guys. <laughs> is that something? <laughs> it, it could be if you if you did it if you made yeah. something. Hey, so so do you remember those those Red Bull commercials with the cartoons that were really weird? Uh, Anyone with the wings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, I just wrote. I just wrote. I was watching one, and I was like, "Hey, don't don't let the shitty animation of those commercials distract you from how not funny and bad they also are, <laughs> because it's like everything about these commercials is horrible. You know what I mean? And that and is that something? <laughs> That's you have like a tenth of an idea yeah. on okay. all of these. Yeah. Um, could be something. I, I call my dick Steve Buscemi because it doesn't get a lot of action, but when it's in something, it delivers, and it has two huge eyes. <laughs> I think you, you, you've done that one before. Well, not on air. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you mean, I mean, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's genius. I, I just, <laughs> I don't even remember this, but I just wrote down, <laughs> sitting on a urinal facing frontwards. <laughs> okay, and we're back. <laughs> Just picturing it, you know, funny. All right. <laughs> do, do you have more? Yeah, I mean, I got more. Oh, my God. Uh, Don't use them all up, and, or else you're going to have to okay, do another so 10. Does, does smoking a, a pineapple-flavored blunt make your queefs taste like pineapple? S- since uh, pineapple makes your jizz taste like sweet? You queef out of your dick? <laughs> yeah, like peefs. Oh. Peefs. Okay. No, like for a girl. You should have stopped at the last one. <laughs> All right. So earlier in the show, I gave a little shout out to our brand new tweeter account at We Bought a Mic. Go and follow us. Um, and I sent out a 
a little request for questions. And Mr. Jacob Snyder of the Snyder Colin podcast was kind enough to send us a little query. Uh, and he asks about a upcoming film that um, only one of us saw. Yeah, I'm a conscientious objector to this yeah. series. I, I'm not so he, he okay. says, let me just read what he said. Um, he said, it's loading. Okay. Is Pacific Rim Uprising up there with Empire Strikes Back in terms of sequels surpassing the originals? Okay, do you guys want the short answer or the long answer? Short. I'm going to go with, with short. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Just throwing it out there. Uh, no. Yeah. All right, so what's next? Um, yeah. I want right. well, Okay, first of all, Pacific Rim 1. All right, yeah, let's talk about the first Pacific Rim. Um, I know that you are not a fan at all of it, Drew. I don't think it's like a great movie or anything, but I think it's a very... It's just a fun movie where robots fight monsters and... I mean that's it. Like it's it's a popcorn movie. That's all yeah. that it is. Uh, yeah, I I feel like an asshole, but just I saw this in theaters when I was seventeen, and I like almost left. Like and, I I don't know why I just could not forgive the script, and okay. I know why. It's because the script is unforgivable. The script is horrible, and I don't know if you know this, but so the one the guy who wrote the script for the first Pacific Rim, uh, Stephen S. Denight. Um, is back to write the script again for Pacific Rim Uprising. Not and only that, he also directed it. Hey, hey so if you like the script, yeah. but not Guillermo <laughs> del Toro's direction, then check out well, Pacific this, Rim This too. guy did a lot of work for Daredevil, right? On Netflix? I think so. Yeah, and that's a, that's a solid made show. But, okay, so this movie, it's... It's bad. It's a bad movie. I also was kind of uh, I was we were talking about either doing Thoroughbreds or Pacific Rim Uprising as our main uh, segment, but there really isn't too much to talk about with this movie because it's just not a good movie. Um, the script is honestly one of the worst scripts I've ever seen on a movie before. Mm. That being said, um, I almost kind of. When thinking about this movie, I kind of kept falling back to thinking about like a wrinkle in time. Like this movie is essentially a kids' movie. Like it's not just action figures it's, punching. Yeah, each other. exactly. It's like I like the part where the robot fight the other robot, and then the alien came and they fought the alien. That's basically all that you get out of this movie. Um, Wait, the robots fight each other? Yes. Okay, so that the main no premise. Sense. No. Well, okay. I'm just going to kind of get into spoilers. It doesn't matter. This is a bad movie, and <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't you contribute to it. Just tell me everything. Dude. I already know. It's going to make a billion dollars from China, so it doesn't really matter. Like, they're going <laughs> to make a third was one. Was the first one big in China? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. it was a huge overseas. That's uh, why they made office. a sequel. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so this movie starring uh, John Boyega, uh, Scott Eastwood is back. Kill me. Who is horrible? Um, <laughs> and Charlie Day returned in here. So, so this so, is Clint Eastwood's son. Yes. Why? Why is he a thing? He shouldn't. He, he be. Sh- no. He go, should not be a thing. Go home. Scott. He's really bad. He is just. A, he's bad in the first one, and he is even worse in this. I one. don't think he's um, in the first one. I think I thought that he was. Is he I not? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe he's not. They all kind of. It's all generic. You're thinking of Charlie attractive Hunnam. white guys done together. No, Charlie Hunnam. I actually love Charlie Hunnam oh, in the okay. first one. Okay. Like just what the fuck ever. I Michael. I. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I'm not okay. gonna blame it on him, but like Charlie Hinnom is just—he's an extremely charismatic guy. I'm a big Sons of Anarchy fan. At least the first three seasons of Sons of Anarchy. What um, about Undeclared? He's in that. Oh yeah, Undeclared. I mean, he's awesome as like the bully character, the yeah, exchange student Brit. Um, but who uh, fucks. Yeah, who fucks? <laughs> yeah, and punches. Um, <laughs> 
this movie though um so basically the main premise is uh so john boyuga plays uh idris elba's son um, Idris Elba died in the first Pacific Rim movie. Oh, um, I, I forgot about that. So, so, so this takes place like 25 years later. Yeah, it takes place after uh, the like first arrival or whatever it's called of these robots. There was this whole war that happened uh, shortly after the film where I guess they closed up all the gates. I don't remember if that actually happened in the first Pacific Rim or not. Um, but regardless, uh, Idris Elba died. But at the time, I guess John Boyega's character was... Uh, like in training, he was a, a recruit for to try and one day fight with the robots. Um, we just never saw he, him. Yeah, you just never Idris see him. Idris just hated his son, never yeah. wanted to hang out with him. Yeah, I guess so. Who cares? Um, so he plays the, the movie starts out with um, which I told Colin before the movie started, I was like, I will bet you a million dollars that this movie is going to start with a John Boyega voiceover showing how time has passed since the last uh, thing mm-hmm. and giving a short synopsis for everybody who didn't see the first and one. And now you're a millionaire. And that's exactly how it started, and I now have a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, um, Colin. Colin's in the And hole. then I took that million dollars <laughs> and gambled it on myself not being disappointed by this movie oh, and lost no. it all immediately. Um you're so, banking hard on all those robots <laughs> yeah. merging together into one big robot. This isn't Power Rangers. It would be better if it was Power Rangers. So do do they all merge into one big robot? No, no. They, Are well, you they, fucking kidding me? They don't. They, the robots don't. However, let me just get through my plot synopsis. <laughs> You'll find out. Okay. So, um, so John Boyega, uh, uh, his character goes like rogue kind of because I guess his dad died and he was like, my dad never really cared about me. He always put his job first. So now he's playing this like scavenger character who lives on the coastal cities. Uh, it lives in like this coastal city, which basically the coast got fucking wrecked by the aftermath of the first Pacific Rim movie. And you see like giant skeleton bones of these um uh, a xenomorph creatures uh kaiju kaiju um you xenomorph? see them <laughs> i don't know <laughs> they're alien um jaggers and kaijus bro <laughs> um which that was kind of where this movie succeeded the most was seeing the little bits of the aftermath of the first uh of the first pacific room and how just it decimated these coastal cities and everything like that but Anyways, she he comes across this uh, girl who's played by Kaylee Spanny. Wow. Um, I've never <laughs> wow. seen her in anything in my life before. Uh, she was fine. She played like this 12-year-old girl, and uh, John Boyega's character was kind of like the mentor guy. Um, basically, they, uh... they do all this stuff. This, char- this girl is like a child prodigy, and she started building her own Jaegers because it's in the aftermath. There's all these like Jaeger parts just like all over the place. And these scavengers, there's a couple of them that have started building their own Jaegers, uh, by themselves. Um, so she tried to, I guess the cops figured out where she was hiding out with this homemade Jaeger came into a house, busted up. And instead of arresting her, they're like, Oh my God, you're amazing. Instead of, uh, you can either go to jail or you can join the recruits, uh, in this <laughs> little embassy thing. So, that's where uh, they, the two of them go over to this like naval base kind of place, um, and that's where we get one of the most unforgivable things in a movie full of unforgivable things um, is that 
I'd be willing to say about 80 to 85% of the dialogue in this movie is just exposition. Sick. It's really, really rough. Yeah. Like, the girl shows up to this place, and she's like, oh my god, that's X Jaeger who did that one thing. Oh my god, that's Y Jaeger that did that other thing. Mm. Oh my god, that's this thing. That Oh my god, wait, you're the son of that person? Mm. Oh my god, who did uh. this one thing? And now I should care about you because you're an important person. Yeah, that happened a lot in the first one, too, and... That's why that's a, one of many reasons the the movie was ruined, but it was like these cities are getting destroyed and you don't care because you don't know anyone in them and you don't care about anyone in them. Exactly. Like, yeah, like it should be the most like, They're trying to thing. turn this franchise into like the new Transformers. No. But I mean the Transform I think that the first Transformers movie is better than probably either Pacific Rim. It's like I was, right there with it. the first Pacific Rim. I wanted that to be my hot take. <laughs> I, d- I don't even think that's that hot of a take. I think yeah. the first Transformers movie is legitimately like a fun action yeah. movie. The directing isn't too bad yet. It's not like peak Michael Bay where it's like too much. It's it's it is too much, but it's not too too much. Yeah. And then the script is like it's good enough. It has some good humor. And I think Shia LaBeouf is a shit. more of a LaBeouf like, is awesome. Yeah, you actually like kind of empathize with his yeah, character he's more great than you do with anybody one. else. He carries um, Transformers one. So yeah. So Bumblebee. <laughs> once they get to uh, once they get to this little base thing, it turns out that Charlie Day and uh, this company that he's worked for. Um, is uh, they're building basically Jaeger drones that are going around to patrol the cities, basically kind of eliminating the need for this whole army force of training people. But as we know from movie history, whenever you have a drone army, that never works out well. Yeah. Um, so the drones start being like, it, it seems like one of them has gone haywire, and basically this whole thing happens where... Um, they're uh they're like going to the UN to vote on the whole like the uh whether or not they can put these drones all over the place and then uh evil Jaeger shows up kills a bunch of people um so that kind of makes them try and go on this like witch hunt for this Jaeger and then they uh they go in and eventually multiple action sequences later they follow it to this like place in greenland or something like that like very snowy arctic place um and they like they're able to finally kill come together john boy against scott eastwood despite their friction are able to team up together thank god for the good of for the good of humanity and uh they they realize that this jaeger doesn't actually have a pilot in it and it has like the soul of a kaiju in it like the heart is beating like the mind of a kaiju it actually this movie has a decent premise like that's one of the things that like the first one yeah like the premise is there like it actually it's kind of cool and anyways things seem to like kind of go on and on um Charlie Day, you're introduced to him as this, you know, the same kind of like dumb Charlie Day kind of same character that he plays in the first movie and it turns out that he is actually being mind-controlled by one of the people who, from the other dimension who sent the kaiju over in the first place. Um, I'm blanking on their names. They're called, like, the uh, the the overseers, so, something like so that. So this um, explains, like, how the kaiju even ended up coming to Earth? Yes. Because that was never even That wasn't in the first in the one? First okay, one, no. so that's a thing. Um, in the first one, they just show up out of the ocean. 
Okay. There's All right. I, I couldn't ocean. remember if that was a thing or not. But that's part of the whole John Boyega scene in the beginning, the little montage sequence. Um, so there are these, uh, like, extraterrestrial, like, kind of almost all-knowing beings that are on the other on this other dimension. And the kaiju that they send over are basically just their, like, battle machines that they send over to try and wipe out humanity so that then they can come over and, like, take over this dimension essentially um so that uh it turns out like they captured one of the hearts of the kaiju in the first movie or at some point in this time that's passed and charlie day just like has it in his house and there's this really interesting sequence, which is probably my favorite moment in the movie where Charlie Day is coming home from a long day of work and uh, he's just like sitting there. He's just like, honey, I'm home talking about you. See, is like his house is kind of a slot. Just like he's over here just like talking to something that you don't see. And he's just like eventually walks in the bedroom. And he's like, anyway, how was your day? And you just see this like pulsing, grotesque looking heart thing beating in this giant vacuum. And he's just like, okay, anyways. And he puts on this <laughs> headset he puts on this headset and he like collapses and almost like looks like he's <laughs> orgasming like this is like sending this euphoric rush to him it's oh, so no. fucking weird That's but that really was my funny. favorite part about the whole movie were people laughing in the theater during this yeah 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 it was it was it's played off to be humorous is it is it no i think it genuinely because of charlie day like the dialogue that he's having beforehand expecting like a woman to be there and then there's just this giant pulsating alien heart um so anyways charlie day's evil um sick and you turns out that charlie day is actually the one who is uh intercepting these drone transmissions and turning everything haywire yeah um, that was happening so, in the first one too a little bit so the end up uh charlie day sends a bunch of these drones they all get released like hundreds of them like all over the world and then they basically tear holes into the dimension to create new portals for the kaiju to come through again So like world invasion yeah 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 um you could say world uprising could, they say well, Pacific Rim and Uprising multiple points they, during the they movie. They say Pacific Rim? Yeah, they say Pacific Rim multiple points they say, during this they movie. They say Pacific Rim colon Uprising. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so, no, yeah, because every time they come through, they were just like, John Boyega and his super British accent is just like, the kaiju came through via the bridges on the Pacific Rim. <laughs> like That's like a thing that's said multiple times throughout the movie. Um so these kaiju they all come out um and they all kind of are coming together and you realize they're all coming together uh heading towards japan no. for mount fuji because uh mount fuji i guess is like they these kaiju can kind of like commit suicide and basically initiate the uh explosion of mount fuji and somehow their power mixed with the volcanic explosion explosion means that it would wipe out all life on earth huh. science here is a little bit tricky a little bit tricky to follow but um then we uh we get you know big action sequences robots fighting robots robots fighting aliens after the aliens come through and the robots don't combine together but the aliens do combine together and make super kaiju yeah, this is a um, wasted opportunity yeah okay so that was, I mean, that's kind of the basic thing. Just to kind of talk about the things that were really lowlights in this movie, um, in a movie full of lowlights. Um, there is, 
whenever you spend the time in the compound, it's centered around these like young recruits. Uh, one of them was the main girl, uh, Kaylee Spanny. Spaney, I don't, who knows what her fucking name is. She, I don't know how much work she'll get after this. Um, and she's there with like these other cadets and they're all like kind of working together, but it's supposed to be like humorous. And also just like these people don't have like, they, they all came from different backgrounds, yeah. but we have to come together to make a family here. And there's like this feud between her and this Russian girl. And they like do the whole thing. Cause the Russian girl's like, I had to try out to be a cadet three times and you just got brought in here on your own. So she's bitter. And then the guy was just like, the cadets are teasing her and they're like, Oh, let me teach you some Russian. So then you guys will get along better. And she teaches her like, uh, like go fuck yourself. Not something quite like that because it's like PG thirteen, but yeah. something along those lines. Like kiss my ass. Yeah. So, so do and they still do the whole mind melt thing in this movie where they have to team up in yes. one robot? Drift. Yes. Um. We yeah. got to drift, Marco. Yeah. yeah. The 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 drift is still a thing in this movie. Thank um, God. See, which they, they should explore that more. That would that's that was good... okay. There was another moment which I thought was a highlight of the movie where um because the main girl who gets there she's like having trouble drifting with other people because she has this like whole like dark past and everything and they John Boyega is like all right let's see if we're drift drift compatible like I'll try and because they have like little training zones for you there so they're trying to like link up or whatever and basically whenever you drift like you can see into the other person's mind you can yeah, see yeah, everything yeah. that they've experienced before That's the same with the first one which is like a really cool idea and like you kind of get like John Boyega's just like I can see everything you're seeing like because there are all these memories like he, she has memories of her like parents who died and everything like calling towards her and she he, John Boyega's like don't look into it like just look past it but of course she doesn't um so we get a flashback sequence which Honestly, that's the, that's the exact same bullshit as the first. Honestly, time. it was one of the worst looking things I've ever seen in my life. It there's a point where um, it's like her and her family at Coney Island just having a good old time together, and suddenly the aliens come in, and the like tail of a kaiju comes in snaps down on the bridge and of course she's on one side and her family's on the other side <laughs> and her parents are like come on jump we'll catch you we'll catch you and she's about to go jump and you see the kaiju step on her parents <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> it's supposed to be this emotional moment but there were audible chuckles in the theater <laughs> whenever hilarious. i saw this that's really funny it was really really shitty Th that's looking. literally the exact same like Everything you just said happened in the first one, too, where it was like, don't look into it. And then she looks into it and then you get a memory flashback. It was actually he looks into her memory and it, it was supposed to be serious and it was not. It was funny. Yeah. Like, like the I mean, exact same thing. That's just it's one of those things. And like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I know that you guys don't watch the show uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Mm -hmm. um, it's I think arguably like the best anime ever like it's definitely oh, sure. in my top animes that i've ever seen it's only like 22 episodes long total but it has a very similar idea where it's it's mainly focused it mostly has to be kids who have to learn this ability because they're like they don't build up all these walls and everything else and they're more vulnerable and they have more creativity so they go after kids but instead of linking up with another person you have to link up with the machine itself mm. um and in this, like, what makes Neon Genesis, like, so much more of a compelling story is every time that they get into the machine, it takes a huge physical and emotional toll on them. Like, to the point there, the main character, Shinji, like, he gets to the point where he's, like, crying having to go into this thing because not only is it, like, it 
is stressing him out. Like, if something comes in and breaks the robot's arm, it doesn't physically break his arm, but he feels the pain of his mm-hmm. arm breaking. And it, like, it, it takes such an emotional toll on him that it, nobody wants to actually go in and do these tasks, but they're the only ones who can do this. But in Pacific Rim, it just takes the robot's fighting part. Just the cool robots part. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is fun. Um, and there's no, like, actual repercussion. Well, no, there's no is. emotional weight to it. And, and Well, you mean in the first one, right? N- no, no. And I'm talking about the new one. In oh. the first one, it's great because you have, like, Charlie Hunnam experienced the death of his twin brother. Like, he is linked to him. Oh, there's... He's like, I can't drift again. Or not, not twin. I don't think they're twins, but they're brothers. I'm and never like, going to drift with no one again, Mark. I'm yeah. sorry. And you get you get some emotion out of that. It's like, mm-hmm. damn, like this dude basically experienced death. So very similar themes in Uprising. Uh, and this time, John Baiga has uh, a sister, uh, like a uh, half-sister, um, who whenever they're going to the UN meeting, the rogue Jaeger that comes out knocks down their helicopter and John Boyega tries to dive in his Jaeger to catch it and the helicopter falls just off of his outstretched oh. fingers and he let his sister die. No. It's so, so, but like the, where I think that some of the emotional toll landed in the first movie, um, it, there's just none of that here. And I think that also part of that is the direction. Like there's that one shot, um, in the first specific room, one of the things that stands out, uh, that scene where there's the girl walking through the rubble. Yeah, it's, um, it's young Mako. Yeah, young Mako walking through the rubble. And that's like a huge, like, you see that scene. It's like, it's just powerful looking. Yeah. Like, it just looks gorgeous. And there's just really none of that. Um, it's sad to say one of the highlights of the movie was uh, in Japan. There was a... Uh, a little Easter egg outside of one of the buildings that got destroyed. There was a Gundam, a Gundam wing Neat. thing. Um, oh boy. But once again, I can't really judge this movie on like a huge critical it's, level because it's, like it's just meant to be a cartoon. It's meant yeah. for kids. Like I'd give it like a four out of ten. Okay. What's sad? I would still rather watch this movie again than A Wrinkle in Time. Um. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. All right. Uh. So that's Pacific Rim Uprising in theaters now. Um. I hope. I hope John Boyega gets oh, better roles. Another he thing. Will. Another thing. Um. Two more points I just wanted to make. Uh. One. <laughs> I was like making jokes because I saw this movie with Gaia and uh Colin. Uh. We saw this together in Tallahassee, and um. We kept making jokes after the movie about how like. Maybe the reason why Finn isn't in The Last Jedi that much was he was just like, sorry, guys, I got Pacific Rim Uprising, like, film scheduled. Like, I just, I got to prioritize this thing over Star yeah, Wars. That happens a lot. Um, it's like, why did you choose that? Yeah. Okay. But then another thing uh, is this movie ends on a setup for a third movie, <sighs> which I hope never comes. And it ends in this, like, kind of, uh, um, like, the whole, like, iconic way of just, like, this time, we're going to bring the fight to them. We're going to go through the dimension of fight them whoa there's just there's so many unforgivable things okay and then also one one last thing this movie has one of the worst cliches i hate in movies john boyega is getting ready before they go into the big battle and he says if my father was here he would have given you a big speech but i'm not my father and then proceeds to give a big speech (laughs) We have to cancel the apocalypse. Yeah, and then Ugh. one thing that does happen before that, the only piece of really cool imagery that they have is in order to 
get the robots over to this place faster they propel them to rockets and they shoot them like almost up into space where they're like on the atmosphere and they kind of go in that was the that was the coolest thing of imagery that was that that was one of the best parts about the first movie is when they go into space and the pulls out the sword and you're like whoa it's a sword makes no sense that sucked (laughs) no fuck no i will not give any no that scene was awfully written it was like oh we're out of options and then she's like wait sword wait Wait, there's one more option option." and he just it was the perfect option the whole time (laughs) Uh, we gotta move on i can't okay uh so we we gotta we gotta wrap it up but i want to um i want to talk about the social network because i'm still on a little bit of a fincher uh role here after watching gone girl last Mm -hmm. week and i i want to keep going i want to keep going back and watching all his movies because he's a very talented director so i watch what i personally believe is his best film the social network is everything that a fincher movie should be so it's like meticulously crafted every detail every shot every nuance of every performance and and decision is just perfectly crafted there's nothing about this movie that feels like it was overlooked every every single tiny little thing is labored over by fincher um i think it's his best film and i think it's definitely one of the best films of the 21st century easily so i i gave it a rewatch and i went ahead and listened to the commentary um uh with it too so this compared to the gone girl commentary not as good uh i was a little bit disappointed with fincher's commentary he didn't really give me too much um in as much insight as i would have hoped uh, but I did write down a couple things that I thought were neat. So this is a PG-13 movie, which is kind of rare for Fincher. Most of his movies are R. And uh, he says that uh, he got the uh, the word necrophilia wasn't in Sorkin's uh, script. Mm. But he got it in there because, according to him in the commentary, every content creator, every filmmaker just owes it to themselves to try to get the word necrophilia into a PG-13 movie. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> also, the opening scene with Rooney Mara was 10 pages long. Mm. 10 pages of an wow. opening scene, and they did 99 takes of it. Oh, God they did, obviously, from different angles and different setups, but mm. they did it 99 times, and they didn't do an extra one for the even 100 because... Uh, apparently Fincher had everything that he needed. Mm. Um, and he likes to do so many takes. And yeah. One thing that he, that he mentioned in this is he likes to do all these takes because he kind of uh, wants to knock the acting out of his performers a little bit. He mm. wants to frustrate them. Yeah. He wants them to be That's like a, a little bit thing. on edge. Cubic and Hitchcock and everyone, everyone ever has done yeah, that. Yeah, so I, I thought that was, that was pretty interesting um, because there's a lot of scenes, particularly the, the scene with... Um, the Winklevoss twins in the uh, office of the Harvard headmaster. Um, that guy, I forget his name, but he isn't an actor. He's like a conservative talk show host, mm. and he's playing like an ex-United um, States Secretary of the Treasury mm. who became a Harvard president. And so this guy, like he, he went in for this one scene, and then Fincher's being Fincher on him, like just knocking the fucking shit out of him this guy's not even an actor and he just wants him to be like that's exasperated um also jesse eisenberg so there's two commentary tracks on this blu-ray there's finchers and then there's the cast commentary so it's eisenberg uh andrew garfield army hammer and sorkin's in there too so jesse eisenberg understands the craft 
of directing and like the cinematic technique really well. He did a lot of commentary. I like, mean, he's a cerebral dude. He's, he doesn't yeah. just play smart guys. He's a smart guy. Yeah. So if I, you, if you hear anything about him, I think he has a couple projects coming up that he's writing and directing. I know he had a brief stint on Broadway, but I'm excited for, for, for him to, to get more into being a filmmaker because just listening to him talk about like analyzing Fincher's technique and, and understanding yeah. some of these decisions behind like one of the most, meticulous filmmakers working i i really enjoyed it he he i can see him being one of those guys that just uh evolves into a full-time filmmaker because he does not have a face that will age right. well right yeah. but he does an incredible job as mark zuckerberg oh yeah he's, he's a great so, actor he's so damn good he just everyone never, he's not gonna age well <laughs> everyone in this cast is great i i love watching this movie because it's like it's 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 so energetic. It's like a roller coaster. Like just yeah. it's nonstop talking, and you feel like you're watching like fucking Mission Impossible or some shit. It's it's the Mission Impossible of dialogue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I do think that this is probably, if not the best Sorkin script. I think that's I think definitely is. right there. Just because I think it is. this is this whole premise of having people who are geniuses is everything that Sorkin could ever want because yeah. he always writes his characters to be the smartest fucking people in the world, but it works for the yeah. story. And, and ultimately this is a story of people becoming varying degrees of rich, mm-hmm. you know, nobody really loses. So adding this layer of drama to it about, you know, friends backstabbing each other mm-hmm. and, and prioritize like Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he made a decision that was best for the company that he was trying to make, but it destroyed his friendship with yeah. Eduardo, you know, so that that is the crux of the story is how, you know, Facebook, he, he quote unquote stole the idea for Facebook, but Facebook wouldn't exist, exist if it wasn't for him. Yeah. If it would have, if, if the company would have gone in all these other directions that other people wanted it to go, it wouldn't have become the behemoth that yeah. it is today. And, and we that, wouldn't have Bitcoin either. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think the, the reason why I wanted to talk about this on the pod and why I brought it up is because we've recently had all of these like stories surrounding facebook um and like you know b- between the 2016 election and now with the whole cambridge analytica scandal mm-hmm. facebook is continually being put in this position of being complacent in the hijacking of our democracy yeah. and 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 people you know uh, sub- submitting their privacy in exchange for convenience and i think that watching this movie with that in mind is so fascinating because at the very end of this movie, the final scene is Jesse is is Mark Zuckerberg adding his ex girlfriend on Facebook, and it's this girl. You know, she's a fictional character, but she was definitely based on a real person. This this girl who hated Zuckerberg and called his little business venture. A, she she was like, "Have fun with your video game." Like mm. she obviously resented him and, and hated the shit out of him and and hated him to his essence and still is on Facebook yep. because that is how indispensable Facebook is. And Army Hammer talks about that in the commentary too. He says that when he talked to the Winklevoss twins, um, they said that even though they were in this lawsuit and they hate it, they're on they're Facebook, on Facebook. Yeah. and it's the only way that they can keep up with people that they meet around the world doing business. Um, people that they meet in China and Asia and all these it would be impossible for them to be able to keep in touch if it wasn't for Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that happens in all areas of life. You know, think about uh, people whose, you know, your families are separated by oceans. You know, you're trying to mm-hmm. keep in touch with people that otherwise you would never hear from unless you write a card to each other or, or 
maybe call mm -hmm. you know uh, if it wasn't for facebook you wouldn't have these like instant connections to all these people and i think that's the most fascinating thing um watching this movie all these years later it's like eight years old at this point um and by the time uh, or uh, at the time it came out i it, i think people were like huh really a, a facebook movie we're, we're doing this but it's it's aged so well and I, I love it. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. And I'm so glad that it's aging well and that you can still revisit it and, and contextualize the story in different ways. And seeing that this guy, Mark Zuckerberg, like, yeah, he's an asshole, but he built something that changed the world. Mm. And only he could have done it. The, the, if the company would have gone, if, if Eduardo would have gotten his way, you know, he got screwed out of it. He got totally wrecked with his shares. But if the company would have gone the way he wanted it to go, mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't have been anything. And we'd have a different president. <laughs> Yo, kill me. <laughs> All so right. on the commentary, did they have Army Hammer's twin brother? Uh, yeah, so the the guy that plays the other Winklevoss twin, um, mm -hmm. he is on the commentary. He should have been in Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> yeah, he, He's a lot better, you know? Well, actually, so that's pretty interesting because... Watching or listening to the commentary and listening to Fincher talk, it, most of the commentary, uh, the Fincher's track, he focuses on the actors and he's just really just talking about all of these performers that he got on this film. And he really likes, uh, well, first of all, he nerds out about um, uh, Andrew Garfield. He says that he, there were moments on set where he looked at Garfield and he was like that that guy's going to be a movie star. Mm. There's just something about him that That is... guy's going to be in two Spider-Man <laughs> movies that are going to be bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh and he talks about the the dude that played the other Winklevoss twin and he says that that guy was doing exceptional work because he knew that he was that even though his face wasn't going to be in the film, he knew his body would. So he didn't have to concentrate on his facial acting. He just focused on his body and there are all of these like little details that he does that you can tell mm -hmm. that he's putting into this the character uh when army hammer is doing the work of the other character and mm -hmm. they sw they would switch back and forth mm -hmm. you know doing different takes and there's there's a lot of detail in, in that performance right. so buy more blu-rays everybody oh also I trent reznor and atticus ross the fucking soundtrack to this movie is unbelievable it really good. is yeah it's so damn good it's this like dark technological moody moody score uh that you wouldn't really think of to be in this harvard college like up-and-coming entrepreneur movie mm -hmm. uh and it it's it, it lets you know that this is like a special different sort of movie mm -hmm. um and the whole cast was also nerding out about it in this the commentary. is yeah this is definitely a movie that i want to revisit just because i not as high on it as far as that compared to other uh, things that Fincher has worked on, but I do need to revisit. It's been a few Good years. Movie. All um, right, let's get to SNL. Yeah, so I I wanted to talk about this because I have we haven't been talking about SNL at all except to kind of shit on it this year because yeah. it's been bad. Um, <laughs> it's been bad the last couple of years, and yeah, and they're kind of learning their lesson. People, it's been really wearing thin on people, like how they bring in fucking Alec Ball when every episode, and he does like a pretty good Trump impression. Meanwhile, people like uh, James Adomian are doing way better impressions and aren't on the show, and their material is kind of being stolen. Uh, so they, the guy I, from the President Show. Well, that's Anthony Atomiak. He oh, does okay. he does Trump. James Adomian does everyone except for Trump, but. He just released a big article talking about how Alec Baldwin has been completely classless toward Anthony. 
um, about this impression and everything like that and how and he talks about because he auditioned for SNL twice, James Adomian, and he talks about how they have an issue with putting gay men on the air because Lorne Michaels is scared of like the average middle America man who's like, I don't want no gays on my TV and stuff like that. Because honestly, he might have a point because James Adomian should have been cast every single year for SNL because he is one of the funniest people alive. Um, But anyway... I think they're kind of learning their lesson and they're, they're being political when they should be. They have the political cold opens and they have the political weekend updates, which are great. And now they're just getting back to having normal sketches that aren't, aren't really tethered to any awful reality that yeah. we're in. That's they're not topical. Yeah. It's the, that's what SNL is like for. It has to have topical stuff and non-topical, just weird but shit. Not just yeah. topical. Right. So last week they had the guy from this is us. What's his name? Uh, uh, Sterling K. Brown. Yeah, it, that was actually a surprisingly good episode. There were a few great sketches. He was very good. Um, and it just seemed there were a few sketches that I was like, oh, that's like a 2008 sketch where it's just kind of funny. It's silly. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't also. I mean, it's not just the content. It's the fact that it's not poorly written because there are zany sketches that are awful that they've been doing. Uh, so Bill Hader came back. This is his second time hosting after obviously he had eight years on the show. His first time he hosted, it honestly wasn't a great episode because the writing wasn't quite there. And this was actually a very good episode of SNL. Uh, It wasn't perfect. Like any episode, there were probably three sketches that didn't need to be there. Uh, But it just made me happy to see jokes landing when because it just hasn't happened in a couple of years. The the man is he's a fucking talent beyond anybody else. Yeah, obviously, yeah, Bill is great. I mean, he can service any writing. He can make any sketch watchable because he is perfect as a sketch actor. Uh, He was obviously there to plug Barry, his show that comes out uh, this next Sunday, which I'm very excited for. No, I think it premiered last night. Oh, is this this one? Oh, okay. Well, shit. Um, But yeah, so he, you know, he really brought it, and the writing staff brought it more than they have... (laughs) In the past, there were some zany sketches that were just off the wall. There was a political one where he played Scaramucci. It was very funny. Yeah. Um, the cold open, that one was... That yeah, was and they, they brought back the Californians, which is the most head-scratching recurring sketch, in my opinion, <laughs> because they keep bringing it back, and I don't know anyone who likes it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's I mean, it's perfectly fine, but it's just like, it's you're doing it again? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, Fred was on there. Yeah, and Fred came back. Yeah. The thing is, this was probably the best Californian sketch they've ever done because it was actually well-written and funny. And they're leaning into uh, something that I think is funny when they do it, which is basically making it so it's a soap opera that's also an ad for California. Like, they're like, <laughs> I'm drinking my California sparkling rosé. Like, that's that's pretty funny, but it's just still weird that they think that that's... Hey, this is the one that everyone likes. Yeah. I don't know anyone. But anyway... Uh, so that was solid. They brought back Stefan, who everyone loves. Uh, with a Mulaney bit. With a fucking John Mulaney cameo, which, if you don't know, he's written yes. every Stefan sketch yeah. ever. So doesn't doesn't the way it work is, like, Mulaney writes it, and then uh, Hater doesn't know what Mulaney yeah. writes until it's on air? Yeah, Mula- well, no, Mulaney writes it. They write it together, okay. and there are jokes. Like, they come up with the jokes together, and then Mulaney will just switch them around just enough to make Bill Hader laugh. Okay. And Or he'll just add another punchline. Or a lot of the times, he'll just take one of the punchlines or something that's in the first club, and he'll just put it in every club like like dan cortez yeah. he'll just put dan cortez in every single club um this time it, it was roman j israel yeah J- roman j israel esquire it's just yeah it's stuff like that so then they just finally had Melania is finally famous enough that he came out and he actually got like a huge reception yeah which yeah. I was, was surprising wasn't expecting was surprising. that uh and i was really happy for him and he, then he just came out and he was like gentlemen nice to nice to see you very funny and 
I mean, he did another throwing Bill off thing where, like, Bill asked him a question. He whispers into Bill's ear, and it was obviously a nonsense sentence just to throw <laughs> Bill off. Yeah. And then he just leaves, and Bill's like, starts laughing again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely thought that Stefan was probably the biggest highlight of yeah. the episode. I, I, I thought love the, that it the, was the grandpa sketch. That was my highlight. Oh, really? I actually wasn't a big fan of or, that I, It sketch. wasn't even a grandpa. It, it was, was like the girlfriend's, the girlfriend's party. I, I like that one. Thing. Not just because um, it, he made all of them break, which was very funny, but because, uh, like I said, it had like a certain 2008-ness to it yeah. where it was like, oh, they're just going to fuck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I... Uh, I <laughs> I like that, um, but there were some sketches that like I thought were just like really not good, like the Sacred Rock sketch. Mm-hmm. That was just not yeah. funny. I mean, there's at all. Like, there's there not no one laughs. episode of SNL that doesn't have um, a few bad sketches. I thought that overall it was like it was pretty good. I'd probably give it like a B or a B plus, which is better than SNL has been. Exactly. Um, but. Uh, I th- actually thought that probably my favorite overall sketch was the one that was cut for time, the St. Patrick's Day one. Oh, I thought that was really, really funny. That was great. Beck, Beck was thought, really funny. In yes, that. Yeah, the he usually doesn't do that. That was very. Work. And then That's there right. was a uh, a really good uh, Kyle like weird pre tape. Oh, one the uh, about, the undercover office. Yeah, about potty. shitting at work. <laughs> that was the best. That was very funny. Shit, I I love that one. <laughs> But then, I mean, I did think that the the cold open with John Goodman, whenever he came out and did yeah, that, that yeah. one was awesome. Rex Tillerson. It was Rex Great Tillerson. cold open. Great weekend update in general, not just the segments. Yeah, no, I Great mean. Great jokes. Pete Davidson is really kind of coming into his own as yeah. like this like he's totally new... masochistic. Like, yeah, Well, he's doing, he's, you know, he's being the new Sandler, but right. depressed. Yeah. Um. And it, yeah, it's actually working for him. He, you know, he obviously has struggled with addiction and depression, and he quit weed, and now he's just like kind of. Like, there was angry. there was kind of a thing which I was actually I was reading the AV Club's review of this episode uh, earlier today, and um, they kind of alluded to a thing that is in this episode, but then also has just kind of been a thing with SNL in recent years, where the like the premise of the joke, the premise of the sketch is the punchline. Well, like, I, I like look you're... at the the CBC report thing where it was like the whole thing. It was like, what if a Canadian had a sexual harassment scandal? But it was really just him being just like a normal Canadian person. And yeah, and that's well, just like that's see, that's that's the first I mean, big issue. More with, there. That's the first big issue with their writing. And then the the bigger issue, in my opinion, which there were two sketches this episode that fit this mold and they suck because of it. But in recent the past two years or three almost every sketches fit this this template right here it goes there is either one or two people who are acting crazy and then there's a third person whose only job in the sketch is to be like you're acting crazy the irish dating show this exactly episode, yeah. that that was that sketch the that was the exact premise of that sketch i think that writer mentions it i not, think it was that not review. a bad sketch but well it's it's just ucb writing that's what they teach you at ucb is there has to be a straight line and a wavy line there has to be someone acting and someone reacting all the time but to have your sketch the entire sketch be just that is bad and someone like Kristen Wiig back in the day could get away with that because her performances were so magnetic yeah and so so wild that she could carry bad writing with a performance the problem now is that there's not good writing and there's not good performances so what you're left with is bad like there's, it's just someone being like, "Hey, this is the I'm crazy and wrong," and someone's like, "Hey, you're crazy and wrong," and they, that's the whole sketch. They should just let Kyle out there, just unleash the unleash Kyle. Unleash the Kyle. I the problem is that Kyle isn't I, really made for that. Yeah, like Kyle isn't made for like. I mean, I think that we're cop 
where Kyle uh, kind of succeeds best is whenever he's just kind of doing his own wacky stuff. Like last week, or maybe it was week before, we had the whole rock versus rap debate oh, thing. Oh, yeah, with Chris. That was just like, yeah, that, was, that was an awesome sketch, he, but it's something that's not for wide audiences. Yeah, well, he just, he doesn't fit into a mold of laugh breaks. There's no such thing of, as a laugh break in a Kyle sketch. There are not big pauses where everyone's like, okay, here's where we laugh. The laugh in Kyle sketches is kind of sporadic. It's wherever you see it fit to yeah. laugh. Yeah. There aren't big jokes in Kyle sketches. And SNL is all about like mm. joke, you joke, joke. You say a joke um, and then you break for the... Yeah. Another, another exactly. uh, sketch that I wanted to bring up, which I just kind of... It was like it had funny moments, but it kind of just came across as like people auditioning to be on SNL. Um, and that was just the full-on impression sketch of the Jurassic Park auditions they've been doing yeah. a lot of those it, it's just it's just like it this just seems like what they would do is just like this is uh me playing liam neeson trying out for jurassic park yeah and like that's just what it is it, like, it went not, on too long it went on for way yeah. too long yeah they um, and uh, okay here's another little tidbit i'm i'm worried about melissa villasenor who was on the uh naka episode of crashing oh, yeah, actually yeah, yeah. but she is mainly an impressionist and she got one in on that sketch and some people got like three or four and she hasn't been anywhere else i think she's gone after this year which is sad because she's very talented but she struggled with depression and i'm kind of worried that she's kind of falling into some kind of hole and then also uh sorry luke noel but i feel i think you might be done buddy (laughs) yeah i yeah he's never really made an impact he's done nothing Um. he did Okay, so he had one sketch earlier this season that was heralded as the cringiest thing in the world, and I thought it was genius, but the problem was that it didn't reveal itself into three minutes in. Three minutes into the sketch, it did you watch it? I linked it to you what, guys. What was it? He comes into this classroom, and he's just like, hey, Mr. Peterson, oh, uh, yeah, your yeah, wife yeah. left you or something. <laughs> yeah. He's shitting on everyone. You're like, oh, classic bully, but then no one's laughing in the audience, and you're like, oh, no, this isn't funny. This isn't funny, and then three minutes in, there's this big turn where uh, Keenan, the teacher, is like, who are you? Yeah. Like you're not you're not in this class. This is your first day, and then they all reveal like how he actually really hurt them, and it's a, it's so well written, but it, there's no way that would ever land because you can't have dead silence on SNL for three minutes, yeah. even yeah. if it's intentional. People just check out, even if it's on purpose, it doesn't work. But anyway, I think he's um, gone. I think Melissa. Did might be you gone. guys watch the uh, Arcade Fire performances? Yeah. Oh yeah, they're those. really good. Okay, I was uh, like i thought i thought uh their second performance with put your money on me i thought that was excellent yeah. i loved everything that was on there creature comfort was a little bit underwhelming for me i mean it's um, it's snl like no i know but it was just like with put your money on me it was like they had props there and everything yeah. else it seemed like they were getting more into it i don't know if it was kind of a nerves thing for them have they ever been on snl before they've been on it like yeah. a lot have they yeah they go on every time they it have just an album. seemed like it it seemed like they like their voices weren't great. Well, Even um, okay, so the thing Regina is, is and Regina is like has this unbelievable voice, but like she, it just I didn't don't see, really work. I kind of don't think she does. I think that she has a beautiful. I mean, she has a voice, signature but, voice, but like if you, when you just hear Win or her singing, you're like, can you be quiet? Like they need like epicness. They need a backing track. Well, and, and that's what I mean. Creature Comfort is very much just like a jam of a song. And, yeah. I, I don't know. I just I wanted a little bit more for that. It, they did redeem themselves with uh, "Put Your Money on Me," I think. But yeah, they're they're fine. Uh, the mixing on SNL is always weird. Uh, yeah. People always shit on SNL performances, but it's like, do you ever just watch live music on TV? It's always bad. Yeah, like it's, why? It's just a weird there's thing a, to there's do. There's a channel for concerts, and no one watches it. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, let's get into Atlanta. Yeah, so we gotta we gotta wrap it up, but let's hit Atlanta. Um, this episode was called. Helen. Helen. So this is set 
First of all, it's an interesting character thing. They've mentioned it before, but Van is of German descent. Um, and so this episode takes place in Helen, Georgia, which is uh, not a lot of people know about this town, but it's a little town in Georgia that is completely German themed, mostly just for tourists. It doesn't have really a historical basis. Well, it used to be like it was kind of like uh, a settlement. Yeah, it was a yeah, settlement but type then, of place, but then it got kind of abandoned and people were just like, oh, look at this cool architecture. Well, yeah, and we'll then in the, turn this and into like, year. Exactly. In the 60s, a group of developers were like, we're going to make this a thing. I've been there before, guys. Oh, you have? I've, I, my family went lodging in Georgia one year for a few days and we it was right near Helen. So we just chilled there. And it's weird, dude. It's I a after weird seeing little... this episode, I never want to go there, especially no. not with a loved one. It's very <laughs> bizarre. Um, so yeah, this episode is another Ernest and Van episode. The natural comparison is to Juneteenth, which is one of the best episodes of the mm-hmm. show, mm-hmm. Uh, because it's Ernest and Van. They go off together. They're somewhere going else. somewhere uh, that is Van oriented. She's kind of dragging him somewhere and expecting him to play along in this role of like they're still lovers, and he is being a little baby about it, and he doesn't want to. Yeah. Uh, this episode kind of disappointed me. Really? It was one of, I think it was one of the weaker episodes period of the show. Like I, it, cause it hit all those same beats mostly. And then it would go to a different scene that was so interesting. And then that scene would be like two minutes and it would go back to Ernie being a little like whiny boy. And it's like, I get it. I, it's like, we've seen this before. I don't, I, I disagree with you there just because I think that this episode is like really hit on some like, unbelievably true notes of relationships that you don't really often see in things where we just in the previous episode had van just going with them along to a strip club like it was like nothing she didn't put up she didn't say she didn't want to go she just went along with it just because she wanted to spend time with Ern. and meanwhile they have to do this one thing together and Ern is just whining the whole time and she he's just saying like oh well like i i always have to do all these i you always have to do all these things for you. And she's just like, I went to a strip club for you. I didn't even say anything. He's like, yeah. well, why don't you say anything? She's just like, cause I just wanted to spend time with you. Yeah. Like, and, and I'm a woman. Why would I want to go to a strip club? Yeah. Why <laughs> do I want to look at titties? Like <laughs> it was one of those things. It's just, it's so, it rang so true for like genuine relationships and how it goes. I know I've personally been in arguments like this and stuff like that before. And that's why I think that it kind of struck a chord with oh, me. I, I agree. Like that's good stuff, but I think the best scene by far in this episode was Van talking to her sister. Oh my god! Holy shit! That was that a, was that was an incredibly written, incredibly performed conversation. Yeah, they're, they're talking about how each one chose a different. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it touches on yeah. She, Van chose black. It touches on like black on because, black stereotyping, and that was one of those things. It was just like. And I mean, that's another thing that I've seen happen before, where they're just like, "Oh yeah, you're you're Ern's girl. You're uh you're the mom. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. they never actually call her by her name." Like you're known more Elio. than just being Earl's. <laughs> you're I, known more like you are your own person. You're not just uh, Ern's girl or yeah. whatever like that. Like it was just it was just one of those things where she is like, oh, you know, I call you. Um, what's uh, their child's name? Um, it's isn't it Leela? Leela? Le- is, is that right? Um, it starts Lita. with an L. Lily? Um, yeah, but she know. was just like, you're the mom because like you know, I just think you being a baby mama suits you. 
because you chose black and it's that when she says that like my mouth my jaw yeah. dropped yeah. and they have this great conversation about how like when they were younger like well why didn't why didn't you hang out with me well because you were kind of condescending to me and my black friends because you had white friends and you would say these weird things to she us. felt like she was better and it gets so snippy and the dialogue is incredible yeah it's and, so good and i found it more uh especially interesting because it kind of parallels uh, Donald Glover and his brother's childhood relationship. Ooh, that's you, a great point. Yeah, if you remember what I said about yet yeah. again that profile where uh, his brother would kind of just, he gravitated toward the black crowd and Donald would just, they didn't, they got along but not super yeah. well. They just had different crews. Oh, so the, this this episode actually wasn't written by Stephen Glover. No, no it the wasn't. first one this episode and it was It was directed by a woman, um, Amy something yeah but, who's done work on the girlfriend experience ooh, i know yeah with Soderbergh. Mm. um so the the main thing i took away from this episode is uh van um i had her pulled up i forget the actress's name i'm sorry <laughs> this this uh, yeah this was a van episode beats yeah beats she she kills it she's so good in this and she brings this uh a low key like ferociousness to the role mm-hmm. um where you you get this nice contrast with Ern because he is she says it like he's mean and we know that Ern's not an idiot we know that he's smart and we know that he is probably very aware of how hurtful he's being and 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 knows that yeah. that he his attitude in this episode is not going to be taken well by by his girl yeah. and like and he, so eventually they just kind of come to yet another stalemate where it's, he's like well I like it like this I don't want to commit that to was you at all. I like wanted to punch Ern in the exactly. fucking face whenever he said like Van you could tell just in her acting that she was laying it on the line that she said I want to be a committed relationship I want us to be something and he was just like well i'm happy with the yeah. arrangement that we have yeah he's like i don't and it was like fuck you like i've just kind of learned to like earn as a piece of shit so far like yeah he's this really earn is kind of he's kind of falling down just this slippery slope where i'm worried about him like as a person i'm worried about him as a manager like yeah, yeah. it's really it's i think that's why i was kind of bothered by the episode because I wanted more Van and then she just had to keep dealing with Ern, but it's like, no, go back and talk to your sister or talk to that guy, the German guy who like could be a love interest. Like the Van only, the Van only episode last season, Mm. season one, that's a standout great episode. She is a great actress. Also, she has this very interesting delivery where she lets it's, it's so beautiful. She lets what people are saying, just wash over her and she just patiently just waits and then just slowly lets out her lines. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've met people like that and I never see people portrayed like that. Yeah. I, um, another couple things is I love the way that their arguments between the two of them were, uh, portrayed in this episode. It felt like real people having an argument or Ern just had multiple points. He was just like, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know what I want. This feels like a trap. Like yeah. that felt because so many times you see arguments happening in TV where it's just like these Very people scripted. are too perfect and these aren't real human beings. Yeah. Like this isn't how real people fight with each other where this mm. was genuine. Um, we have to talk about how fucking weird this town, this Oktoberfest thing is. Yeah, um, that was one of the most effective things about the episode. Is it kind of dips its toes into a little bit of like horror. Yeah, it's so like yeah. disorienting, and you're like, what fucking year is this? Like, it was major like Get Out kind of vibes. Like, I oh, was yeah. getting just throughout it, it. And if you remember, I said something about uh, how how people are going to analyze the masks using the show. Fam, so fam many said masks. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Donald Glover. 
the funniest and most fucked up moment in the whole episode is when the girl comes up and thinks he's a white person oh my god oh my god and then he's like hey uh, watch and so then he's like hey where's that mask you were talking about and if you'll note the mask he puts on is white yeah he puts on a white mask which is you could argue he is always doing that in Mm -hmm. the show especially when he's asked to perform for van he's supposed he's putting on this mask of someone he's not uh so that was really good, but um, also uh, the the whole ball in the jug game when they're <laughs> playing that, <laughs> and he just reaches over, drops the ball in the jugs. Whoa! I've been playing. I've been playing this game since I was a little boy. I've never never yeah, seen anything. That like was that really before. funny. And people start like applauding him. It, I definitely <laughs> I thought it was gonna turn bad I, real quick. I was drawing a lot of parallels between those customs and the made up uh, German customs on the office that Dwight does. Oh my god! Where yeah. it's just like that's not quite real, you know, but it like could be. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's not like real shit, but it's like kind of close, you know. Um. But yeah, I, I mean, I was disappointed in this episode, but it's still better than like anything else. Yeah. I just think. I, I wanted more of what it showed less of, and I wanted less of what it showed more of. And then at the end, I was like, well, they had all this development, so maybe it'll end somewhere else. And it kind of just was like back to back to the well, same Well, I mean, thing. They're, I kind of get the feeling like they're done Like after this. like I mean, Ern's the, basically homeless again. The, the the episode begins with them like being very intimate in bed. Like He's, yeah. so, he's going down on yeah. her, and, and they're like cracking jokes and smoking weed together. Like They're, they're not in a bad place at the beginning and then all this shit happens in Helen and uh you know you you have this big fight between them and at the end yeah i think that there is reason to believe that they're done but you know they still have a child together so i don't think that the relationship is going to completely fall apart they're still going to put up with each other in some way cuz that's what we saw in season 1 that's where they were at like they were both seeing it, other yeah, people. Yeah, it just it but. seems like we're kind of going back to that place where like beginning of the season it felt like they kind of came together, they were going to start seeing each other again, but Earn like we haven't even seen so far in this season like Earn trying to be a, like see other people, other girls or anything like that, but yet he still is like so afraid of the idea of committing to Van that he won't just give her what she wants and just say like all right yeah, yeah. let's be committed to each other yeah like this show obviously is making a living rightfully on breaking from traditions of traditional television making and yet i find myself wanting Ern to do just something good like i just want him to do one thing where i'm like okay you're all right do you think we're gonna get that i think so i mean he can't just I don't think it's going to be a show because if he just keeps getting worse the show has to be about him like bottoming out which I could see that happening. This at least well, we I could, could reach a point, um, like maybe later on the season where he just hits complete rock bottom. Maybe he's no longer the manager of Al. Like he just shit. he just kind of reaches complete rock bottom, and then he has to find a way to kind of scratch and claw they, his way back. They are they did kind of set that up a little bit, like hinting towards that. Yeah, they talked about it in that one episode yeah. where like they were just like, oh yeah, my manager gets me all these gigs. He got me on the Fast and Furious soundtrack, and, and this being Robin season. You know, we could see Earn start to do some some criminal shit. That'd be cool. We have like we've kind of started to see. I mean, it's kind of a general theme, not just unique to Atlanta, but like this whole idea of like money doesn't buy you happiness has kind of been pretty apparent in the last two episodes. Uh, even this one, like Earn kept kind of using this whole idea, just like oh, I support you, I pay for you, like you have to do these things for me and stuff like that. It's like very backwards ass thinking, yeah. but well, that's just kind pays, of the place where you, bills. Yeah, well, it's I, also, I pay the bills. It's also now, the so. exact opposite of what it was. Exactly. Because and Van was still putting up with his shit then. Mm-hmm. Like he, 
he it, there's been a p- shift in the power dynamic and yet it's like the same as it was and it like emotionally it's just it, it's a little worse though i think because i think the relationship there was a little bit more heart well in it. It, well and also from a cynical perspective he needed her back then and yeah he, he really doesn't need her at all anymore so he feels free to emotionally manipulate her and be fucked Which up is fu- yeah it is fucked like up. it's the relationship is more stable when uh van is the economically stable one not when Ern is because mm. Ern's not a stable person yeah um but yeah i i mean i still like this episode i was just i just I like the other ones we've had so far this season more. I think. Yeah, I I will agree that this is a, a little bit of a of a dip, um. But I I enjoyed all of the scenes that they had together that Glover and, and Beats had together because they're they just bounce off each other mm-hmm. so well and and we you know focusing the whole episode on that I really enjoyed the fact that we're not cutting back to uh, Al and Darius. Yeah. You know, having the whole episode center around that. I, I really liked it, and and there's enough weird Atlanta surreal sort of strange shit in here. Yeah, to keep that's it really I think that's kind of what kind of kept me going. I might have nightmares about this llama beast creature popping yeah. out of a dumpster <laughs> behind me. Yeah, that was that was what I was talking about. Like it dips its toes into horror, and it's really effective, and yeah. you get this eerie dread sort of thing so you're just like is this person like are they normal like what's going on behind that <laughs> is mask there even anyone in the suit because <laughs> she she hits them and then there's and like then no yeah, one there. nothing in there that was straight up like a surreal horror thing it yeah. wasn't it wasn't tethered to any reality yeah. and that's why the show's great all right let's uh let's wrap it up guys uh you can follow us on twitter now at we bought a mic and instagram um, follow our Facebook page. Ask us questions, guys. Come on. Use that hashtag AskWabam. AskWabam. Ask us about, um, you know, politics, the state of the union. Ask <laughs> us our stance on gun rights. Mm-hmm. Hashtag delete Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Hasht- anything you want. Uh, I'm at Calderness. You can follow me too. Um, I'll be posting, uh, you know, updates and all that. What about, what about you guys? Um, I'm on Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley. Um, do some fun tweets and stuff. Look forward to uh, what we got next mm-hmm. week coming up. And I'm at Drew Dietzen on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, Spotify. And I'm at Drew D on Letterbox. Yeah. I think next week is Ready Player One. Ready Player One. And Barry. And yeah. Barry. Barry, look forward to Legion and... And uh, I'm going to try and see Unsane, the new uh, Soderbergh project. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Seven nine King Drive, you can picture me rolling. Been the corner, sweep his head into the roster. The nigga been blessed, but that nigga been sick, and that nigga been stressed. So fuck it, I'm a doctor. Self medicated, ginger ale and the champagne flutes, and I ain't celebrating. Chicken up crack, repeating tastes everything till I'm wait till I played it. Patience, I'm fake. Like outdated denim, hearing it like this, about as rare as cicadas. The boy got some Miles Davis in him, talking all that jazz. Telling all that truth, nigga, talk your shit. Better watch your mouth, better watch your back. Better choose the right way, I'm supporting the road shit. And of course, the path less travel. Fuck, I look like following your footsteps. Don't fumble, cause this ain't Sunday football. I ain't at home with a footrest. In fact, I'm in front of the back of your head, but I'm coming from behind. Better look left, look left, like where the fuck is he? You got time on your head, boy. You got time on your head, like you wearing buck 50. Do it so clean, but it's still so filthy. Fuck with, cause you already know you fuck niggas really can't talk and all that jazz. Talking all that jazz, telling all that truth. Nigga, talk your shit, nigga, talk your shit, talking all that jazz. 
jazz, and all that truth, nigga. Talk your shit, nigga. Talk your shit, talking all that jazz. And I know that truth, nigga, talk your shit, nigga, talk your shit Talking all that jazz might get you caught But I ain't gon' stop, don't ask, Until I'm in a white drop top with a smile on my face And a hand in the air like JFK All in your steam Better known as a hot box Crack rocks in the square, better known as a block Impaired, trying to move, that's hopscotch Unfair, one leg, it's a hell of a cock block My nigga, what an anomaly My nigga, look at the world, my nigga, what a monopoly Drop tops in the hood and they sitting on 22 Nigga still on such an eight though. Tricking on the low for a hoe, nigga. Mom at the crib trying to stretch a couple pesos.